I'm about to finish off this bottle of whiskey. Finish off the bottle, huh? Well, I mean, over the course of what, like the last five podcasts? <laughs> That's okay. Own it. Um, not too bad. What about you? What are you drinking? I just have Dr. Pepper. I just took some cold medicine, so I, I don't want to get too drowsy. So I figured I need some caffeine. Mm, that's a shame. Is it? Well, I mean, I feel like this is a movie that could that could warrant some some drinking. Be in line of the spirit of the characters. Show me the way to go home. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see as we get into it when we move into the second half of the movie. It might be good time to spike some gin in there. Nice. Ooh, gin and cough medicine or uh, cold medicine, like your style. Robo, robo grinning. This is just, yeah, don't do this. Don't try this at home. <laughs> We're not heroes. <laughs> Never said I was a role model. Uh, All right, well, you ready to pod? Absolutely. Hello and welcome to Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light. Hello and I am Marco Sparks. And we're back. Uh, probably a week late, but I didn't think of this until after the 4th of July, but we're doing Jaws this week. Uh, That's how we do it. It's 4th of July movie. 4th of Jaws a week ago. That's cool. That's how we do it. I mean, it's. I don't know why I didn't think of it, but I, like because it was the 4th of July, I saw some like various mentions. I think another podcast did it. And I was just like, oh, we should fucking do Jaws. That is a movie worth doing. I was utterly stunned when I got your text because I was like, Jaws, the Spielberg movie in classic Benjamin Light style. You're like, is there another one? Is there? No, but I was just like, okay, that's just out of left field completely. But you know what? I I was super happy once I realized you were serious because it's a great movie. July 4th, whatever. And also America's on fucking fire right now. So, yes, let's talk about this shark movie. (laughs) All right. Well, before you get into that, it's your favorite segment. What are you reading? Um, oh, wait. Am I moment, supposed to do what am I watching? What are you watching first? Sorry. I think you're supposed to do what are you watching? Yeah. Uh, the two shows I really super absorbed in the last week were the second season of Glow and the second season of Mary Kills People. I realized that I watched that show that whole second season in like one day, which I don't usually do because I don't know. It seems unhealthy to me. Um and then I didn't finish the first episode of Sharp Objects yet, but that's what I've been watching. Um, Did you watch Glow any was, of Sharp Objects? Yeah, I have like 20 minutes left in the first episode. Okay. Have you read the yeah. book? No, I haven't actually. Okay. You? Uh, yes, I have read the book. That's what I'm watching is uh, Sharp Objects. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I wish I liked the director. I wish I liked it more. I guess. Um, okay. It's fine so far. I don't like the style, the visual style. It it bothers me. It's specifically like the handheld camera. Like it just, I find it distracting because it's not like there's. We're gonna talk about Jaws. There's lots of handheld camera in Jaws, but like the point of the handheld camera in Jaws is like they're filming on boats, and like that's just what they had to work with. It's not like calling attention to itself. Whereas like in sharp objects it just feels like I have the director like leaning over my shoulder being like, Ooh, aren't you unsettled right now? Ooh, this is all kind of like unsettling and weird and kind of disorienting. Like it's just like whispering in my ear the whole time. It's like, you just like just calm down a little bit and let the story like stand on its own. 
What's funny to me about watching this, if I hadn't known, is I would say that it's somebody doing a bad ripoff of this visual style from Big Little Lies, but it's the same guy. <laughs> same guy. Because um, he's just, he's this really trying me, to... I was going to say, this makes me not want to watch Big Little Lies now. I'd say it works better, but I mean, I think what he's trying to evoke isn't just the unsettled nature, but like just this weird grasp between like reality and dreams and memory. And I feel like it makes more sense sense or it just seems to be like a more winning product big little lies because i mean the editing in that like part of me wondered for a while when i was watching that show if like the guy was just like a crazy drunk frenchman and like the editor came in and saved it and turned it into art but um i don't know it's right now where i am like 20 minutes from the end it's 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 an interesting story compellingly told for the most part i mean i've always wanted to watch amy adams drink all all the vodka in the world and just exclusively jam out to Led Zeppelin, but I'm waiting for more to happen. Also, I hate Christmasina. Yeah, same. I always hate Christmasina. And that that the character in the books doesn't it I did not get a Christmasina vibe, I guess, you know, like I feel like he's described differently. Um I don't know, maybe it's just one of those HBO things. Like he's been in other HBO stuff. Um yeah, I just I don't know. I, I feel like the it's very confidently told as a story maybe too confidently (laughs) considering Mm -hmm. that like not much is happening so far um i mean i like the story marty noxon has done lots of good things so you know i'll give it the benefit of the doubt i just i don't know i couldn't help but think like if somebody like i don't know carrie fukunaga or someone with a little more i don't know panache or whatever had been doing this if i would be enjoying it more Mm mm-hmm I'm very curious. I, I don't know if the guy didn't come back for season two of Big Little Lies because of this, but I know he's not coming back for that show. So I'm kind of curious about the visual style of that show now. Um, seems to be like Reese Witherspoon's like favorite director or something. Does a lot of her stuff. Hmm. Hmm. And Martin Oxen, yeah, I mean, she's had a very interesting like like post Buffy removed career. I mean, she's one of the driving forces behind Unreal. I don't think she's actually part of that show anymore, but. I mean, I'm glad she's making a, a name for herself. I mean, like, I feel like at the time of Buffy, I wasn't a huge Marty Noxon fan. And then, like, later I found out that she was, like, one of the main creative thrusts of, like, season six, which I, I do have a certain kind of, like, love for that flawed beauty. So. Yeah, Sharp Objects. Um, it's fine so far. It's it's taken its time. It's very languid. It's only eight episodes, too, so. Curious to see how they develop things. I am also wondering. My girl, too, my girl Willow's in there. Was she in this episode? Because I know she's in the she's season. She's not been so far. Yeah, I didn't recognize her anywhere. Um, I think I know who she's playing. I think she's like one of the slightly older teenagers. I think she's uh, uh, it's Nancy Drew, um, roommate when she enters a certain facility later. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if they have changed things all. I guess, I don't know. I don't want to give anything away from the book, but I kind of feel like they're leaning harder on certain things in the, in Amy Adams past than what were there in the book, but we shall see. Hmm. I mean, I'm glad to see more coming out of, of the world of Jillian Flynn. Like I, I kind of hoped that they would see more of her post gone girl. I mean, remember when she was supposed to be doing, Utopia. What was it? Strangers on a Plane with David Fincher. Oh, yeah, that too. I remember that. 
Yeah, like all the all their shows they're gonna do just completely fell apart at HBO for some reason. Yeah. Did you read the recent thing about like AT and T CEOs like talk that he gave to like the, all the HBO employees? Mm-mm. He's basically in so many words saying like I'm going to completely ruin HBO. Buckle up. Okay. I mean, he's just like we need to make more content and you know get ready to work long hours or whatever. Like it just like. It was some town hall meeting he gave where like everyone came away from it thinking like, well, there goes HBO. It was a good run. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know how shitheads like that like continue to remain in power at companies. It's just like clearly going to run it into the ground. I mean, it's kind of interesting that they have like, I mean, they could go crazy creating way too many shows a la Netflix. Uh, and they don't. You know I mean, what the world doesn't need right now is a whole bunch more TV shows. They just need them mm. to be better. Mm. Well, it all needs to be better. Mm. There should be a there should be a baseline of what can like. I would say Ant Man and the Wasp is like for like your kind of action comedy. That should be a baseline. Your movie should if it's going to be worse than that, don't don't release it. All right. Or well. like uh, Game Night, I think was an example I've used before. Like, just be that good. Don't be any don't be any lesser. That's 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 as much as we can stand. Well, what are you listening to? Uh not much Florence and the Machine. Um various other things that are not coming to my mind. What about you? Uh just now some Best Coast. Okay. Feeling that heat. One of their EPs. Oh god, it's so fucking hot here. Anyhow. Um uh, what are you reading? Nothing at the moment. I uh I thought about starting that Jenny Han book that you were reading. Um I just I just haven't gotten around to it. Right on. Yeah, I'm still reading that uh to all the boys a little before. Also, this isn't really a book, but um there's a recent Jonathan Franzen interview. I think it was in like New York Times magazine. Mm-hmm. One of those things, I don't know. I tweeted the link and that was an interesting read. It's a catch up with what Franzen's been doing. I know the internet hates him, but uh I feel like that hate is maybe a little overdone. Did you like freedom? I read like the first 200 pages of freedom and was enjoying it and never got back to it. Some, okay. Someday I'll return to it. I read, I was really like impurity and I also didn't finish that either. So it's hmm. on the list. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, shall we get into jaws? Do we want to talk at all about Ant-Man and the wasp? Um, I sure a little, I don't know. Do you have anything you want to say? Uh, nothing in particular. I was just kind of curious if we wanted to let this one pass or not. I mean, uh, it was in, it was enjoyable. It was entirely enjoyable. Like it was not amazing. I think the thing that I never realized, though I don't know why, that I needed absolutely more of was, of course, Evangeline Lilly in this role. I think she's fantastic. Um, I I mean, Paul Rudd is always a likable presence. I feel like I want to hang out with Paul Rudd, but I think I would much rather watch a movie about the Wasp. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess two things stick out to me in this movie. One is a spoiler that I can't really get to that happens in the post credit sequence, no. um, which is just, I don't know, bravo on the panache, I guess is all I'd say with that. The other thing, like the the one moment that I feel like kind of like transcended the, the trappings of like the action comedy is when he's talking with his daughter, Cassie, somewhere in the middle of the movie, I can't remember exactly where, and she he's like she's telling him that like he needs a partner and he thinks she's talking about hope and then she's like oh it's talking about me and he laughs and she goes don't laugh 
And it was yeah. just like, man, that was a gut punch. And he was just like, oh, shit, I'm an asshole. That little girl is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very curious by what mechanism of whatever the fuck is happening in Infinity War Part 2 where they recast her. As a teenager, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, she's really she's really good. And that moment is incredibly like precious. Because it's like... The movie kind of has to forget about the the dilemma of like he he does at some point need to get back to his house arrest and not be caught. You know, like he does. There's a, there's a couple of times where he's like, oh, OK, gosh, I got to help you guys. There's a couple of times when he's just like, let's go fucking do this thing. I've completely forgotten about that. You know, I've got an aunt pretending to be me. At first, Spoiler. I was like, wait, doesn't he need to be back home in like two hours? But it was like, no, they've got they programmed something an aunt. So it'll like do it overnight or whatever. But yeah, it is. At first, it feels more immediate than it, it turns out to be, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even the characters that I don't give a shit about, like his uh, ex-con buddies, like they're not terrible. They're not super offensive or annoying or, or bad tropes or anything like that. Um, it just never feels like purposely, I have to imagine, like as immediate as other Marvel movies. Like I never feel the threat of of uh, Ghost like I, I would that's in, sort of the in point. other yeah, I mean, it, it's like a safer Marvel movie. It's, Maybe even more it's for It's a palate kids. cleanser. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. a little aimed a little younger, a little more family friendly. Um, I mean, it's it's fine. It's a Marvel movie. You're going to get your money's worth out of your ticket, I feel like. Well, like this was Ant-Man. The first one was, was the one that came out like right before Civil War, right? Right after. Or no, wait. It was right after Age of Ultron. That's when it was. Okay. And then like. Essentially, right before Civil War. I mean, not right before, but you know, a little, there's like that was the next big movie I think coming out. Okay, okay. Um, well, that definitely gets you you ready for everything that's gonna mm-hmm. <laughs> transpire there. Yeah, I mean, it's likable characters. Not a lot of stuff going on. I mean, Walton Goggins will never play a normal guy or like somebody's just, you know, best man at a wedding or whatever. He's always going to be some level of antagonist. I mean, I realize that guy's cashing his checks, but maybe it's time to not play the typecast role. Maybe. I wonder if he's just not getting offered. Could be. Yeah. But I don't know if you like Marvel movies, I'm sure you'd like Ant-Man and the Wasp. Even if you don't like, you could mostly go watch this movie, not even really being a big MCU fan. It's it's more family friendly. It's more just kind of like a little bit action comedy with like some Honey, I Shrunk the Kids thrown in sort of, you know, mm-hmm. like lots of humor about big and little stuff. It's neat. It's a different vibe for and, the MCU movies. And no spoilers about the post credit sequence, but like it's got a beautiful like little bit of dark humor and a great like cliffhanger vibe. Like it, it definitely kind of like the post the post credit sequence to infinity war i'm like ooh, this is gonna be fun mm. this is a pickle i want to see them get out of yeah yeah all right well do you need to say anything more about ant-man and the wasp no well, and that about- in itself is the review yeah yeah let's talk about jaws uh spoiler alert for this 40 year old movie the the original summer blockbuster original like four quadrant movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before such a thing existed. Uh, do you have yeah. an opening statement? Um, the, this kind of viewing that I took for the podcast, especially was, I don't know. It's one of those things where I feel like I'm not going to be definitive in any case, but like, it was just fun watching. This, this is like maybe the 10th time in my life I've seen jaws. And it's a lot of like, you know, I knew what to expect and it was just 
refreshing and exciting. I like a lot of films in the 70s. Uh, Spielberg's camera in this movie is just fucking alive. I mean, it the stuff he does is so simplistic and it just works. I mean, it's it's textbook ways that you can use a camera to tell a story, like in Married with Good Editing. Um, and it's fascinating to think because it's it's born out of like a lot of his original plans going horrifically wrong like an extra 100 days or something added to the schedule because every fucking thing went wrong and the movie he wanted to make had to get thrown out and he had to make this instead with nothing uh it's an interesting movie because it's it's 1970s it's not totally like us versus them or 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 the counterculture versus the man it's kind of this post watergate movie where everything's awash and like para- paranoia and nature's unbalanced despite your socioeconomic economic shit and someone has to go out there and set that shit right um i just i really enjoy this movie i it's it's such a, a a fascinating humanist beautifully like like how movies should be made kind of film uh and in conclusion it gave me a new thing that i i kind of appreciate more as an adult and would be afraid to do which is go shark hunting while massively hung over um that's a new thing that, you're gonna do Oh, no, it's the thing that I'd be like, I felt that a little bit more now. Like as I'm watching the last 12 minutes, I'm like, fuck, those guys have got to be just like fighting off pounding headaches. Um, but yeah, this is a this is a real treat to watch. I mean, this, this two hours or two hours and like four minutes, whatever, just fucking flew by. So I loved it. All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, Jaws is pretty much perfect. It's almost uncanny just how good this movie is. I don't think there's a single bad scene in the entire film. Like every scene's a winner. And it's even kind of two movies in one. It's this local like Islander drama movie. And then it's like this men on a mission boat movie. Uh, Spielberg is doing so much here and it all seems so effortless, even though it clearly wasn't, you know, the movie's plagued with production issues. Uh, but it's just really fascinating. It's you're watching a, a master of the craft before he really fully knew what he was doing. And it's just a complete delight. Uh, it is funny how this movie's often blamed for starting the blockbuster area and, you know, quote unquote, ruining American cinema. Like, if only more movies these days, more blockbuster movies, were trying to emulate what Jaws is doing. I mean, I'd say it's it's a populist movie, but it's not without its artistry. I mean, the whole movie mm-hmm. is basically just a film school clinic. If you've never watched this movie, you should really find some time to do it this summer. It's well worth it. And I think it harkens back to a time... Like, I'm not saying, like, Independence Day is a great movie, but, like, I remember being a teenager and like kind of the the heightened excitement oh let's go see independence day and there was at least kind of a lesson to you if you were if you were willing to take that lesson in about like here's how we we get to what we need to get out of the way to tell a certain story of so many characters and make room for spectacle and make it make sense to you and enjoyable to an audience and obviously like independence day is a very poor example compared to jaws but i hear about these terrible movies that i'm never going to go see now like geostorm and they just sound like like not even burning car not even that, but like like rampage, you know, or like yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever like whatever new the, trash rock, whatever the rock out, is saying know? yes to, yeah, yeah, like and this movie, and it's it's fascinating because like what Spielberg wanted to make was something much more blatant, huge spectacle, and he kind of goes out and makes this Hitchcock movie on the water, um, just because he has to, and yeah, it's really good. It's kind of funny just to see like under the pressure how good this can be. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, are you in like a new chair or something right now? Yeah, sorry. Squeaking. All right. Well, uh, do you have any top moments? I've got a few runners up. Five. I have. You have five runners up? I do. I could put like every scene in this movie in my runners up. I'll tell you this, though. I had eight total moments and I was like, oh, man, the fucking bullshit I'm going to get. 
from what's his name on the podcast. So mm-hmm. I edited it down to six. So yeah, jokes on you. Yeah, why don't you take why don't you take us to number six? Oh no, I gotta do them all. Well, get us to where we can trade okay. off from six on down. So these are in no particular order because I feel like my number eight should probably be higher. Um, but comparing scars on the boat with uh, Quentin Hooper and uh, Brody's mostly just watching there. Just the comparing scar scene is just fantastic. And it's so much of this movie is done in like these long takes and they're not, they're not like calling attention to themselves long takes. It's like, they just let the camera roll and it, it just feels so lived in. It doesn't feel like you're watching a movie, you know, that's been like carefully and tightly edited. It just feels like you're watching reality happen. Can I interject there only because obviously I, I, I posted that again, that every frame painting video, which is great. Mm-hmm. There is like one sequence I noticed. It's like when Brody first comes to the, uh, the police station mm-hmm. and it's this beautiful one take where like you're in the waiting room. He comes in, we push into the office. He's talking to like the secretary. It then comes back out and you're following him out. And like, like the video talked about, he just uses like subtle changes of where the camera is to make you feel like there's been cuts. Or there's a new scene, but like he always sticks with the intent of like, the camera needs to be on this person for this moment. It well, his, needs to then come to this person for that moment. His long takes aren't trying to draw attention to themselves, which no, is no, very you, different you from a lot of the ones it. you see. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. So you're number seven. Uh, my number seven is just the shooting star uh, on the boat when Brody's loading his gun and the shooting star goes by, by in the background. It's just, that's the sort of serendipity that just is perfectly captured in this movie. Like, that they happen to through all the the chaos of the production, they happen to catch a fucking shooting star going behind the lead actor as he's loading mm-hmm. his gun. <laughs> all right, yeah, six. Um, so it's it's when the shark is circling the boat in the third act, and the Hooper keeps like trying to talk Brody into like going further and further out onto the boat, and he's just like, "Why?" And he's like, "Hooper's like, do it. Why? Just do it." And then finally, Hooper's like, I'm trying to get a picture of it, and I need something in the foreground to show perspective. And Brody's just like, fuck this. And he like walks off. So many of the scenes in this movie, I am amazed at how much they let it. It's it's clear that the the actors have a general sense of the lines they're supposed to say, but they're really mm-hmm. just kind of like letting it go. Um, there's a ton of scenes in this movie where like people are just talking in the background, and you can kind of hear what they're saying, but not really. Like, it mm-hmm. just feels so much more naturalistic than, uh, like, if you watch this movie now, you would have to catch every single line of dialogue because that's how movies are now, you know? I think this is the first one I really, 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 to my depth, appreciated the charisma between Roy Scheider and uh, Richard Dreyfus and just their bromance. Um, well, I mean, it's the, you know, big summer blockbuster movie where two of the leads wear glasses. Like, yeah, when do you see yeah. that? <laughs> Well, and you get the moment, this this would be my number seven moment, is when Dreyfus is about to go into the shark cage, and Scheider has to tap him on the head, mm-hmm. and he looks up, and he's like, what? And he like just kind of points to the glasses, and he's like, oh, yeah, and he hands him the glasses before he goes on the water. Yeah. Uh, where are we number at? six. Number six, the car ferry ride with the town elders there, uh, mm-hmm. that ends with the classic, uh, you yell shark, we got, we got us panic on our hands on the 4th of July. That guy only owns Mayor Vaughn only owns two blazers and they're both spectacular. Oh my God. They're so hideous. <laughs> I, I am just, always amazed when I see seventies fashion on like old seventies TV shows and like what was considered like 
the hip authority square figures is just so gross. Yeah. I love the just the conceit of that scene is like Brody's like going over to like put some signs up or something and like all of a sudden this car just like pulls onto the ferry with him and like these dudes it's like some real estate guy and the mayor and then like the i think it's the medical examiner like all these guys just pile out and kind of like full court press them and be like oh maybe uh maybe it wasn't a shark attack maybe it was a boat accident you know and uh why don't you it's like yeah yeah they're just kind of like pressing him to do what they want because you know got to keep the town business in mind um have you ever read the book no I, i as i understand it's way different it's way different, and from what I gather, it sounds fucking awful. There's like but, the um, mob in it. Yeah, so that's that's Mayor Vaughn's whole thing is that basically he is in deep to the mob, yeah. like real estate shit, and it's like he is terrified what they'll do to him if the beach is closed on July it's, 4th. It's better without that. You don't need mob motivation for that. You just need him to be the mayor of this like rinky-dink island town who like all he cares about is like summer business. There's another big thing that's a huge part of the book that I want to talk about later, but mm-hmm. we'll get to it in the movie. So uh, that was your that was six, six or five. That was six. So you got um, your five. My number five. It's a little moment that you know I've kind of I kind of enjoyed it before, but like I said, certain things just hit me again with this viewing. But it's about twenty minutes in the movie. Brody's doing his homework, just like reading up on sharks, and he gets so engrossed in it. And then the wife comes up behind him and startles him, and he jumps, and then mm-hmm. she jumps too because they're both so on edge. It's it's adorable with this like couple, but at the same time, like it's getting you to that point of tension in the movie where you need to be. You're probably already there, you know, but like you, you're going to get there. Like this is a tense movie in places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my number five, the uh, scene when him Brody is sitting at the dinner table with his son, and they're doing this weird kind of like copying thing back and forth. Uh, it ends at the famous line, "You know, give us a kiss because I need it." Um, it's just like. A, like bizarrely humanizing scene that you would never get in a modern movie, you know, like mm-hmm. because it's just it's modern movies. They got to, they just got to keep moving. And it's like, no, we can't slow down for a scene like that. But it's like a, it's a really good little subtle scene to kind of allow these characters some humanity. So it's, he's not just, you know, chief of police Brody, you know, like that's all we need to know about his character is he's the chief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and number four, is the sorry chair thing the dinner sequence with uh brody and hooper and the wife um i want to talk about this sequence later in relation to the book but i want to do it now because it's too long but yeah brody's pouring himself this big old glass of wine and the let, wife, let that red wine breathe yeah well the wife is explaining that her husband's afraid of water it's a childhood thing he'll sit in the car and take the ferry across the channel it's probably got a clinical name doesn't it and brody's not having this right now he just instantly interjects with drowning mm-hmm. anyway and he and then he gets like Hooper to confirm, you know, just a basic, terrifying statistic, terrifying in the light of this movie, that most people are attacked by sharks in three feet of water, 10 feet from the shore. Yeah. Yeah, that's also my number four. Uh, letting that red wine breathe. Um, part of that scene, too, is just that, like, it's a really long shot where it's mostly just like Hooper talking to the wife and Brody's just sitting there between the two of them in the center of the frame saying nothing and just pouring wine and like looking like he's like about to go on an overnight drunk or something. Mm-hmm. And he like, he barely says anything through the whole scene until the end. Uh, yeah. It's fun. I, I know there's a whole like affair thing from the book, which seems ludicrous. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the, that's another thing yeah. I mentioned is there's, that's the weird tension that they introduce on the Orca at the end of the book is 
the whole time he's trying to figure out if this guy has like slept up his wife. That's so stupid. Uh, yeah, it Peter Pinch like, seems like a hack. Well, it, and that's the thing is that he basically it was a it was a pitch for a beach read book. He got the contract, and he's like, "Fuck, I don't know a ton about sharks, and I have to do this like kind of hacky edgier seat thing." Um, I know they yeah, threw so, him off the set eventually because he like protested the ending. Mm. And so Spielberg got rid of his ass after they after he filmed his cameo. Mm-hmm. Well, the it's like the writer from Lily Odd Couple is like the guy he brought in to punch up the script, which is hilarious <laughs> to me. Um, yeah, my number three moment it's it's a simple moment. You got the growing tension on the boat with the three men, and this is like a classic movie moment. But there's Brody like shoveling the chum into the water. Hooper gets to drive the boat, and you know and you hear Quint just off screen like that voice just like slow ahead slow ahead and Brody's just like slow ahead huh why don't you come down and chum some of this shit and then of course Bruce is there and you know, Brody jerks back in that great classic movie moment and of course you get the beautiful Roy Scheider ad lib of you're going to need a bigger boat Bruce being the shark yeah yeah named as Bruce Spielberg's was the, lawyer yeah that's what they named the, the, the last remaining semi working mechanical shark Bruce yeah my number three is when quint is giving hooper some shit when they first meet uh telling him to like tie uh, like a sheep shank knot and then like grabbing his hands you know you got city hands like all that like i really enjoy the way he just goes after hooper and you think their dynamic is going to be one way but as soon as they get on the boat like it totally shifts and like Mm -hmm. even though hooper like enjoys giving or not hooper uh, quint enjoys giving hooper shit like Hooper's still like a boatman and Quint and a, mm. a chief Brody is not. And so like the power dynamic totally changes. Yeah. You had this weird meeting of like science and spiritualism and like the, the common man. Um, it, it's such an interesting detail. Like just to have your protagonist. He's a guy who's terrified of water. <laughs> and yet he lives on an Island. I mean, in some of my notes, I, I wrote like, I can't believe that a guy like Roy Scheider was ever like a leading man for a project like this. Um, Cause he's, he's always been like Bob Fosse and like the captain of the sequest to me. But my number two moment is it's a moment you, you mentioned a few moments ago. It's after the grieving mom smacks Brody in front of everyone. He's back at home and he's lost in thought and he's just wearing the fucking weight of all of this on his shoulders at the table. And the son is looking at him adoringly and mimicking his actions. And eventually Brody realizes and like you said, it's super humanizing. And then you get just this moment that somehow always surprised me when he leans into the kid and he's like, come here, give us a kiss. And the kid's like, why? And Brody's just like, cause I need it. And like, you fucking believe that he does. Mm-hmm. Also just not to, uh, not to shift the blame there when Mrs. Kittner is coming after him. Mm-hmm. That's some, that's some kind of character there. Cause I would, just, I would have been like, Hey, I'd like to introduce you to the mayor. Yeah. Talk to the fucking mayor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number one, probably the same as your number one i mean it's a it's it's not an interesting pick for number one but it is an amazing scene uh quince uss indianapolis story is just that good mm-hmm. oh wait did i do not do my number two you didn't do your number two I didn't, I didn't, well there's spoiler that's my number one my number two is the uh, the beach shark attack sequence with the reverse zoom dolly shot like that's just a classic mm. that whole scene the way it keeps cutting back and forth the way it's edited is really amazing it's all kind of cutting on somebody walking in front of camera as it mm. kind of like moves back and forth. The first speech? The first one, yeah. Okay. When like, uh, Alex Kittner gets chomped. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. With the reverse zoom. I mean, that's, you know, the classic shot. It, 
Jaws wasn't the first one to do it that way, but uh, it's probably the most memorable. I, uh, yeah, so my number one, I actually purposely kind of gave myself a rule to leave the USS Indianapolis speech <laughs> off of this list. Um, it is really good. My number one is actually the comparing of the scars because I think you absolutely need that moment to get you to the Indianapolis where. Well, I'm trying. I wrote it down. So Brody has a cut on his right forehead. right before it, yeah. Yeah, Brody has a cut on his forehead. Quinn has a fake tooth and a bump on his scalp from a St. Patty's Day in Boston, LOL. Hooper's got the big scar on his elbow from a Moray reel. Quint can't extend one arm because he fucked it up in an arm wrestling competition in San Francisco by a Chinese fellow while Quint was distracted, celebrating his third wife's demise. <laughs> then Cooper has that kind of gross, you know, HD, like uh, when you get that high def, like that scar on the back of his calf. Um, Quinn has a scar on one side from the Thresher Shark, and the two of them drink to their legs. And then Hooper sh- he points to his heart. Mary Ellen Moffat, she broke my heart. And then, of course, you get to the Indianapolis speech, which is so compelling and so fascinating because Robert Shaw, like, ruined every take because he kept getting, like, hopelessly drunk throughout these sequences. But once you slowly realize that he was on that ship and he went into that water and was one of the 312 men who was rescued, goddamn. Yeah, apparently he tried doing it drunk the first time and it was a disaster. And so he apologized to Spielberg and asked for another try and he did it in one take. Mm-hmm. Spielberg's like, that's all you're getting. So <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a great scene. Yeah, the I don't know. It's. I let me ask you this um, as we move into our more general discussion. What is your history with this movie? Like how many times you said you'd seen about 10 times? I think about 10. How, when was the like, when did you first see it? What, what's your first memory of the movie? I want to say the first time I saw this or the first time I may have seen scenes somewhere before, but the first time I remember really, really seeing it was on a vacation as a kid. And I don't know if we were like going to go swimming in somebody's pool or something, but this was on and I just, I wasn't having it. I wasn't leaving the room. Hmm. I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm right here. Yeah. Yeah. I think what about I, you, this might only be the third or maybe fourth time I've seen this movie. I don't think hmm. I saw it front to back until college. Um, I think I just like by the time, you know, cause I was born in 80, this movie had already been out for a while. I think by the time I would have been old enough to possibly see it like jaws 3d had already come out and it was like the whole Mm. series was kind of a punchline by that time and Mm. so other than like i'd seen like probably my earliest memory of like any sort of like you know film school type thing i can't remember what it was but i was only like 13 or 14 with somebody explaining in detail like how good the uh the beach attack sequence was and like the way it was shot and Mm. so i'd seen that part of it but i'd never seen the whole thing until like college i think and I was just like, wow, this is a really good movie, actually. It's not just like a weird punchline about like sharks that, you know, look fake. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the sequels sound fucking god awful. I want to say Joss 2 is the one where it's like, like Brody's just Revenge. When thought it was safe. Yeah. Well, just when he thought it was safe to go back in the water. Joss, I think Joss 4, The Revenge, is the one where, according to how did this get made, because I've never seen it, like, the sharks follow them wherever they go. I didn't like even know there camp. was a four. I thought three D well, was the last one. Well, that's the one that has the, uh, and I just watched this episode of Buffy where they, they talk about, you know, the classic line this time it's personal. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's a reason that's tried and true. <laughs> that, 
that's the one with the great, uh, you know, when someone asked Michael Caine, why did you take this role? And he's like, because they paid me a lot of bloody money. <laughs> but yeah, I think this might only be like the third or fourth time I've ever seen the movie. But every time I watch it, I'm just like, holy shit, this movie is ridiculously good. Like, it's so good. I don't know that this is what we'd call like, you know, there's some movies that I've, I've seen probably like 30 times, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're a warm, comforting blanket. I don't know if this would be that movie. This is a movie I think you want to go back to and have it that kind of surprise you a little bit each time of how good it is. We can a little skip over a little bit, but uh, any complaints? No, me no, I, I don't think so. Me neither. I think this movie's flawless. All right. Well, uh, let's move into our general discussion here. Yeah. I, so one of the things that always, I don't know, I always forget about this. Like I said, I've seen it 10 times and there's still things that I forget about and they, oh wow, that's in here. Um, just the fact that it starts with a bunch of like hippies. I fucking on a beach that's going to turn into a skinny dip turns, turn murderous. Just the, the tracking shot of them running past like the kind of dilapidated fence there. It's so good that it's, it's, and it's such a small little thing in the movie, but it's like, this movie just starts out with an incredibly classic shot right there. We haven't even um, mentioned the score, by the way. Oh, John Williams is great. And mm-hmm. and his score, he's got that that riff, you know, that it's 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 right up there with like the fucking psycho theme. He's got that riff, that dun dun dun, you know. But like there's such like just flourish in life to the rest of his score. And it's like I it's like almost like a there's a dark humor to it. Because like some of the shark attack stuff. He's got his like do 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 do, and yeah. it's just like oh man, this is kind of fucked up but wonderful. Um, when I was rewatching this last night, I was thinking something. Something was reminding me of something, and then I saw your screen cap on Twitter, and it kind of made me flash back to one of the times we watched one of the later Harry Potter movies. And there's something where I want to say they're on a beach at one point, and I just kind of mm. associate it a little bit with like that shell beach. I'm running past their shell cottage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This movie, by the way, rated PG. Yes, there's yeah. a severed foot that starts out with some silhouetted point. nudity. There's copious amounts of blood in this. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this guy? I don't know if he gets a name. The guy who who can't pull it together to get with this, Chrissy. This dude does not seem too concerned the next day. No, no, he is. He is. He should. He should go home he and start crying sociopath. and never, never, ever stop crying. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So when he kind of collapses on the beach because he can't join. Well, first of all, Christy incredible energy like goddamn girl you've apparently been up smashing beers all night i fucking this loser and you should go for a nighttime swim like you're full of live and birth but this dude's just like i can swim i can swim i just can't walk or dress myself lol (laughs) this whole scene by the way shot uh, like just before dawn like the fact they went out there and did this you know like just before magic hour like to get the right look because it it's i think spielberg was later like i should have just shot this movie in a fucking tank you know like mm-hmm. that was a huge mistake shooting this like out on martha's vineyard but i do feel like you you get something here you wouldn't get if you're shooting in a tank well like i was um i was re-exploring life aquatic recently for a thing and um that's another movie that i i i just i go back to it like maybe once a year i watch life aquatic but shooting on water is a nightmare i think especially if you're a director who's never done it before mm-hmm. Um, cause I well, was like watching some, it's huh. funny because that that's like known and yet like directors continue to make that mistake over and over again. It's kind of funny. Kids, animals, water, mm-hmm. avoid them. Yeah. Like, 
was watching this interview with Wes Anderson, and I was like, oh shit, he's like the complaints he's making, the things that surprised them to happen are like ver- almost verbatim things I've seen Spielberg interviews talk about what went wrong with Jaws, where you just run out of like you have a certain track of water and you run out of water, and then now you have to turn everything the fuck around. Or as you're doing it, you don't realize that you've just shot this great take, but like, fuck, you can see the land behind you. We're supposed <laughs> to be on open water. <laughs> Or just you're doing a setup, you're waiting for a certain light, and then all of a sudden you realize at a certain point, fuck, we're not going to single like shoot a single frame of footage today, are we? God damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, so poor Christy gets uh, it's pretty brutal by the shark. Yeah, yeah, the shark is just toying with her. It's the way she's like getting like thrown around back and forth. Um, yeah, and you know, famously the shark didn't work, so they couldn't show it that much on screen. It totally works for the movie, though. The movie is so much better than if they mm. had tried to show the shark. I feel like, for the most part, the shark, when you do see it, looks fine in this movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But even even when act, it's like, like on the boat and everything, I'm like, no, it's fine. Like, I, I buy it. Yeah, it, it looks it looks completely real to me. Like, when, you know, this is the details of the behind the scenes of what went wrong. I didn't know until like like 10 years ago. You mm. know, like I'd seen it several times. And I just thought that this was like, God damn, Spielberg. He just knew what he was doing from the very beginning. And it's just like, later on, I find out, no, he, he didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so eventually we meet Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider. Who's um, like a cop from New York who's afraid of water. Just afraid of like the crime in the city. So he moves his family out to Amity on this island. Uh, like so Kind of like did New you England. Think, did you think that he was afraid or that his wife like made him move? I was always kind of wondering like who who made that decision. Um, that's a good question. I guess I kind of always assumed it. Uh, initially, I assumed it was him, and I know in the, and then I, I found out stuff about the book, and I know in the book it's his choice and not mm. hers. And she's she's adamant to go back because I guess they had more money in New York than they do here, and and that's part of the affair that she has. Uh, oh, that's that she stupid. she wants to. Yeah, it's dumb when it's like Hooper is like the the brother of a guy that she used to date. And it's like she he reminds her of like when she was like more popular, younger, adored. Um, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Awful. It's a terrible depiction yeah. of, of in, Ellen. But. In this movie, it kind of seems a little more like I, I definitely don't think she wants to go back. And it seems like at least a little bit she was probably pushing for them to move out of the city is the, the vibe I get. I can see that take when he says, let's go home. And she's like back to new york and he's like no here like he's finally accepted yeah. yes this is our home um yeah so so they run to the guy who was going to hook up with chrissy i don't think he gets a name i don't know if i if i caught it or not he suggests that she might have been might have drowned but like you said he's not broken up about it at all he does not seem to give a shit oh uh, you mentioned where they are this is amity island which is a fake island but this is supposed to be like somewhere like kind of long island slash cape cod type of vibe okay okay you know definitely in northeast mm-hmm. 50th annual regatta mm-hmm. yeah so they of course find the remains this of guy, chrissy this guy's hair by the way um the the young buck who didn't make it into the water with chrissy it's very <laughs> 70s uh, so when, when Roy Scheider and the blonde dude finally come upon Chrissy's body, uh, where it's supposed to be and the deputies like in the foreground, just like looking all sick and mm-hmm. gross out, watch the blonde dude. Like he's trying to look 
everywhere but the spot where the body is supposed to be <laughs> like i don't know like he was just so stoned he couldn't take direction like he's like staring up at the sky at one point but it's not like he's avoiding how horrific it is it's like he's just that fucking out of it but you definitely get the feeling that like maybe this guy's like some rich preppy who's just like mm-hmm. slumming it here like on a on a long weekend or something like this guy's gonna go back to like Kennebunkport or something like that and oh yeah you know, this, hang out this with his blood family like- this guy might be Ted Kennedy for all we know. Yeah. <laughs> Cause uh, death, shark attack. Why does this keep fucking happening to me? These girls keep dying on me. Yeah, seriously, it's that guy. Uh, I really uh, love just the shots of him, like, leaving his sheriff's office and, like, walking down the street. And, like, there's a parade in the background. And all these other people are kind of walking around. Like, I don't know, you really get a sense of place here. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like kind of random conversations happening where you can't totally hear what's going on, but it doesn't really matter. But it it really adds to the the vibe of the movie. Mm-hmm. It feels very real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the latest in the, the Amity crime blotter, the nine year olds from the karate school have been like karateing the picket fences. <laughs> like how there's no sign. So he has to go buy like some like wooden stakes and like paintbrushes and paint and, and whatnot from the uh, hardwood store there. <laughs> the deputy's like, we don't have any beach clothes sign. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and then the mayor with this like suit that has like a bunch of little anchors on it. Man. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, do you think his anchor is that a huh. full time job? I guess for the mayor. You know, it depends on your small town. I know. I'm just wondering for this guy. Like, does he have some some action on the side that he's doing? Maybe, maybe he's he's this guy probably has some uh, some like rental units or. A bed and breakfast or something right oh sure and we also but but yeah yeah but he's trying to make a name for himself and not just take mommy and daddy's money mm-hmm. um yeah so like they said that one scene that i love is when we're we're in like the waiting room at the police office then we're in the chief's office and like the every frame of painting video talks about there's only one cutaway and it's the close-up of when the chief is typing up the form and he under cause of death he writes shark attack mm-hmm and it's like visually, even if they don't draw super verbal dialogue attention to it, part of you is like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, and it's also because he's just answered the phone and he's getting the cause of death from the ME. Mm-hmm. And it's if it's there for you to follow along with if you're paying attention, but it doesn't beat you over the head with it. It doesn't need to cross cut to the ME to have, you know, him say shark attack as a line of dialogue. I don't know. I, just, I really like the way this movie trusts you to follow along with it. It trusts you to like be able to figure out what's going on in a scene when multiple different people are talking over each other, you know? Well, I think, yeah, if you, if you spell things out to an audience, you're not only watering it down, but you could only give them that version. If you give them just enough where they draw their own conclusions, even if that conclusion is only one that can be drawn, they're then bringing a certain kind of meaning, or in this case, like a foreboding back into the movie. And it's, it's this kind of, I mean, it's, you know, cut to Leonardo DiCaprio describing how Inception works or how dreams work. But it's this beautiful, like, symbiotic relationship that they create here. Brody's smoking uh, like crazy in this movie, too. Yeah. It's it's just a guy like Roy Scheider is such a weird leading man to me. Like, you wouldn't get this guy, you know, in, in modern films. I just don't <laughs> think. He's great, uh, though. Or, like, or, I mean, or Dreyfus. We, we should get more people like this in movies. Um like, as, if you made this movie where The Rock is Chief Brody, it just does not work. Like, I think even, I'm trying to remember who was the original casting choice for Brody. It might have been Heston, but it was something where Spielberg 
had said like, no, I, I need it to be somebody who the audience believes like might not make it. You know, like if you cast a certain person in this role, it's like, well, they're invulnerable. Oh yeah, we should we should go into some of the casting choice because like almost none of these people were like the original choice, but mm-hmm. like yeah, Heston and uh, Robert Duvall yeah. was the other big one. Um, whereas John Voight and Jeff Bridges were who they wanted for Hooper, which totally different kind of movie. I mean, mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges could have played any role in this movie, and it would have been a completely different movie. But he could have done them all anyway. Um, so Brody and his wife, they go to the beach, you know, bros keep an eye on shit. Uh, I, I like the little bit where Alan asked the other couple, like, well, how do you get to be an Islander? And the answer is never, <laughs> you weren't born here, which is so fucking real. And so dumb. If you've ever been to these fucking places where they don't care who you are, cause you're not exclusively local. I mean, I live in the South and that's that garbage is always peddled on people. I mean, um, the, the way this scene begins, the beach scene, it's, like I said, this is a fucking clinic. Like it starts out, you're following one woman to the the water, and then you follow Alex Kittner out of the water. Like you kind of pick him up and follow him over to his mom, and they talk mm-hmm. for a second, and then he walks over to the bathrooms, and he just happens to pa- pass right by Brody, and then you're on Brody here as, as that that conversation you just mentioned is happening in the background, and he's just watching the whole time. Like the way it's done is so good. Um, Really can't Which stress is, enough. Like, if you haven't seen this movie, you should watch this movie. It's kind of funny. So you were talking about, like, the first time you would watch one of these kind of movies from the 70s and actually personally, like, analyze mm-hmm. how the movie is made or how it's shot. I think for that kind of thing that you just mentioned, the first time I really noticed it from a filmmaker was probably Altman. The way he would follow characters in and out, like, weaving in and out of story storylines and the conversations and things and i can think about that here but only there's a fucking shark attack that's about to happen and then the shot that i don't know why I, again i forgot all about it even though i've seen this 10 times now you get the fucking like split diopter shot here which makes me think of like brian de palma movies exclusively uh, are you talking about Brody's, the reverse zoom well will you will you have the the boat the no no that's the the hitchcock like vertigo mm. shot before that when the one guy's getting in brody's face and like Brody keeps trying to look past him at the ocean mm. and you have both of them in focus and like the blurred line in between. Mm. I don't think there's any other like split focus shots like that, but um, it's fantastic. And I'll, I'll, I'll tweet about it. Okay. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the, uh, there's like all these cuts or you start out far away from Brody and it's like somebody passes in front of the camera and it's a little bit closer. They pass in front of the camera again. It's a little bit closer. It's, a really good way of doing a jump cut that's not a jump cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just like the, the tension keeps building in the scene. We sense his paranoia and then he, he sees a, a woman scream as he's looking over the guy's shoulder. But then, Oh, she's just like horsing around with her boyfriend or whatever. And he calms down again and you're just like waiting for the bad thing to happen. And then like in the background, kind of randomly, like about 20 different like boys get up. And decided mm-hmm. it's, it's time to go swimming now. Like, I don't know what they were doing beforehand, but they all mm-hmm. go out there. Um, this old dude comes over and then eventually just out of nowhere, chomp. Mm-hmm. Oh, not totally out of nowhere. And you, the audience, have gotten you, you first get the dog, like, oh, where's the dog? You know, there's the, the stick in the water that the dog was uh, chasing. Now the dog's gone. And then we get the underwater shots that dun 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 dun. And huge geyser of blood. <laughs> well, yeah. And we'll, We'll get like we'll later on be known horrifically as like the killer POV, yeah, with the shark. Mm-hmm. This movie is so good, you guys. It really is. It's I mean it's, it's so it's, bloody too. 
Yeah, it is. It's a it's a fucking enjoyable movie for the kind of summer thriller that it is. But like, yeah, it's it's also <laughs> film school in a can. When everyone like rushes back to the shore and they're all safe on the beach, except for the one mom, Alex Kittner's mom is just like looking around like her kid's the only one who didn't come back. And and mm-hmm. then the life raft or the, not the life raft, but the little raft he was on washes up in like a bloody wave. <laughs> With a huge bite taken out of it. Also, for your pointless trivia, if you're paying attention, I I know it's super icky to kind of bring up this dude, but uh, you have some so you have some other future filmmaker trivia here where the old guy with the boobs comes up to give Brody shit about him never going in the water. Oh, bad hat, Harry. And, and that's when Roy Scheider says, some bad hat, Harry, uh, which is Brian Singer's production company, <laughs> which comes from this. Um yeah, but it's just the the John Williams score and that fucking fountain of blood. It's so good there. And then, yeah, like I said, you get the vertigo shot as Brody realizes, like, this is fucking happening. Well, and then there's, like, uh, this town hall meeting where everyone's just shouting at each other. It's great. They're making, I'm like, tacky jokes. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of shocked that didn't end up on our, uh, our moments. I, I mean, like I said, I could put almost every scene in this movie in one of the moments. Um, the Just the kind of jockeying for power that's happening in the scene where Rory Scheider is trying to say they're going to close the beaches and then the mayor jumps in and he's like only for one day and he's like I never agreed to that you know yeah yeah um in the essay you can write on 70s fashion one of these dudes shows up to work in red pants yeah. and the nails literal nails on the chalkboard as Quint makes his grand entrance you all know me you know how I make a living <laughs> Well, the nails on the chalkboard over the someone's drawn a giant shark of a person in his mouth, yeah. which I assume had to be him. Probably, yeah. I mean, Quint, like, I don't know if you could do a, a character like this in modern day. He's almost too salty. You know, it's like I, it's almost too much of a cliche now. I can't think of a specific example, but I feel like I've seen countless attempts to create recreate. Oh, there've been so many riffs on this, yeah. Well, because you know, on my bucket list is to say something at some point naturalistically a la of I'll find the shark for three grand, but I'll need 10 to kill him. Quint is so good in this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they're all just like, okay, well we'll, uh, take that into consideration, sir. Well, then he like, he leaves cause I mean, he's made his point. He's going to stick around. And like, who is this weird old guy with the dog? Who follows him. <laughs> I mean, is that a business killing sharks? I guess it is. I don't know. Well, seemingly when you get to his like shack or whatever, where all he's doing is boiling up shark jaws Mm -hmm. (laughs) and making moonshine. I like the bit where I think it's the wife just like, hey, you want to get drunk and fool around? He's like, oh, yeah. yeah." That's literally just after that sequence. It's just the next thing in my notes is, do you (laughs) want to get drunk and fool around? And then they don't fool around because, you know. Because the son's out in a boat, and I, I like the just a little bit where he's yelling at his son to get out of the boat, and the wife's just like, "Leave him alone." He's already afraid as it is, and then she looks at the book that he has with like a shark attacking a boat, and then she yells like, "Wait, why didn't you listen to your dad? Get out of that boat!" Yeah, yeah. It's and it's it's full of these like little moments like that that are so good. Where you have, I mean, Spielberg always does that. Where you just kind of have to pay attention and and put together those things, and like I don't know why it's it's. Obviously, it's a movie that's so massively emulating Spielberg, but I think about, I think it's like the first shot of Super 8. Mm-hmm. 
just the the brilliance of like right erasing the like you know how many days since an incident in the factory and then writing like zero or writing one <laughs> um well you know jj gets a lot of shit for like aping spielberg but i still feel like he's one of the only directors today who manages to kind of capture the overlapping dialogue chaos that spielberg does in his movies mm-hmm. like uh, that is a, a skill i feel like and i don't know I'm, I'm very curious to see how he uh, approaches episode nine because he definitely has a certain like kinetic style like that that a lot of directors don't have. Yeah, and it's all over even his like Star Trek movies. You know, oh yeah, that totally. first one. That first one is it's pretty solid. I think it's enjoyable. I mean, it's it's goofy. It's kind of ridiculous compared to like, other Star Trek second, movies in its own way. I'd say the second Star Trek movie is really solid, unless you've seen a lot of Star Trek, and then you might be annoyed at some things. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. I think I think as you're kind of a contrarian to that, I think you you might be the biggest fan of Into Darkness. Mm-hmm. But like, oh fuck, man, you really feel the deficit of talent when you get to to Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, Beyond was Which, it was fine, but it was just kind of. Eh. Can I go off on a pretend? What did you think when you saw the headline that Idris Elba had been cast as a villain in this like Rock Jason Statham movie? Eh, I just. Idris Elba deserves more than being the villain in these kind of like lesser tier action movies. Thank you for restoring my faith in humanity. I saw so many fucking reactions where like, woohoo or fuck. Yeah, this is the way to go. It's like, no, no, you're all doing Idris Elba a disservice. I mean, I'm I'm glad he's getting paychecks, but yeah, he deserves much more than that. I, when I think of Idris Elba, it's a small moment, but I think of, uh, when the girls are fawning over him at the office and he's just like, I know the effect I have on women. <laughs> it's like, come on, it just you know you know your career what it should be. Anyway. So uh uh while Brody continues to do his shark research, these two assholes are like using their wife's roast to try to catch a shark. Like the roast is like tied it's such a weird like little like side thing where these guys like tie up the roast to, to the dock by a chain and the Can we talk about well inter- out by the shark? Yeah, intercut with that, it's like Brody's looking at these like pictures of like shark wounds. Like this enough would get you the R rating, I think, in a modern yeah. day. Yeah. This is some brutal shit here. Yeah, it's like a dude's like most of his leg is just missing. Well, and it's funny because these guys survive. It's a little tense, but you're, like, you're really expecting this one dude to get chomped. But yeah, he he makes it back. Well, the one guy is just like, trust me, do not look behind you. Just keep swimming towards the shore. <laughs> um, and like it also comes off, I think, as this kind of like comedic note. Mm-hmm. which is whatever okay but like it's such a uh i don't know it's such like uh getting you ready for like how fucking severe it's about to get well it's a it's a perfect little kind of mini uh moment of tension in the movie where it's like oh shit something's gonna happen and then like nope the rest of the doc just kind of like washes up and it's fine and it's comedy it's like you needed it was like a little pressure release but not all the mm-hmm. way you know you're just like mm-hmm. building up to the the next big release yeah so dryfish shows up and you got a great like cacophony of all of the assholes like on the dock and getting into their boats and like gonna go do the hunt for the bounty the three grand bounty one of the dudes is just like walking amongst this crowd of people just carrying the dynamite with him that he's <laughs> gonna take on the boat i just love the chaos of this like just everyone's shouting at each other and yelling at each yeah. other it's like three different conversations happening at once. Well, there's a nice sequence here where I kind of see one more movies do it where Scheider and, uh, and Hooper, Richard Dreyfus meet and they don't know who each other is. He's just yeah. like, Hey, Hey man, can you tell those guys to get the fuck off the boat? while I do this thing. And it's like, they'll have their introduction like, like moments later, but 
I like how Richard Dreyfuss is just like, hey, you guys, you're overloading the boat. And they're like, fuck off. And then he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> Those guys are going to die. <laughs> Where do you go at his look here? Um, just all denim. Denim on top, denim on bottom. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a look. I could see I could see you pulling off the hop, the Hooper. Grow the hair out a little bit. Grow a beard. I think you could be. I think Richard Dreyfus could seriously be like your style icon. Like this Richard Dreyfus, or just any Richard Dreyfus. Almost any Richard hmm. Dreyfus. I, I maybe this one. I don't know. I've never done the jean jacket thing before. Really? No, I've never been a jean jacket guy. I don't know. Can I can I tell you how I was betrayed by my parents once? Sure. I was like, you know what? I want to get a jean jacket. This is mm. like pre, this is like pre like nineties faux New York punk rock strokes era, like jean jackets. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you know, mom and dad, I want to get a jean jacket. So like a couple weeks later, my mom's like, you wanted a jean jacket, right? I got you a jean jacket. I'm like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. Cool. Yeah. You know, I just wanted a plain jean jacket. She hands me this planet Hollywood jean jacket. <laughs> I mean, I already do the beanie thing. So here's where I, you do a pretty liars beanie too, right? Yeah. Yeah, why not represent? But like, here's here's where I was unintentionally shitty to my mother. Mm-hmm. I look at this thing and I said, "Where am I going to wear this?" <laughs> fair. Oh man, I'm just I, saying I, it's I, fair. I cross that off my list of regrets every night. Anyway, so um, I love the bit where uh, Schneider's on the phone and he just like picks up some shit and throws it at the window to get the deputy's attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Takes a cigarette out of its mouth. Oh, God, the so blocking in this movie is just amazing. Yeah, so eventually some dudes like they catch a tiger shark, they bring on the dock. Everyone wants to think that they're saved. Um, here's here's a bit of trivia that I love about this production. This is a real shark. It's caught off the coast of Florida. They flew it up where they were filming. Um, they strung it on the dock authentically. It apparently sat there for about four days. <laughs> Went so raped. bad, yeah. stunk so bad. You can imagine they made absolutely no friends with the locals. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I love the scene where Hooper's like doing his like I don't know quasi autopsy or whatever the remains of uh, Chrissy there, where he's yeah. like, "I'll need a drink of water, please." Like he's like trying to hold together. That's great. <laughs> well, you, right, it's such an interesting dichotomy of him because he's a rich guy who's an oceanographer. He knows boat life. He shouldn't be questioning his basic seamanship. He's also got city hands. He's smart. He can do an autopsy, but he's also like he's got to kind of. You know, he's going to like throw up when he's doing the autopsy. Well, there's this this great kind of interplay between him and Brody where for Brody, it's like, oh, finally, like someone who's not insane here. Like I ha- I have an ally here, an expert who kind of sees things my way and like mm-hmm. realizes that the shark is dangerous. And then like eventually that dichotomy is going to shift a little when uh, Quint enters the picture. You all know me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like how he just wants uh, to cut it open right there. <laughs> the mayor is just like yeah i'm not gonna have you cut it open and have this little boy like fly out of his stomach onto this, the dock this is like mrs kintner widow here i would just be like you know what i i completely agree with everything you just said mrs kintner i'd like to introduce you to the mayor over here he is the one who made the call on that i i uh yeah. disagreed but uh you know we, we got to do what the mayor says so talk to fucking him slap him so a couple years ago, I watched a TV show that developed a certain like creepy phobia in me because it was so creepy in that show. And it's it's permeated into like the grieving widow in all black with a veil mm-hmm. is like a, a horrific image to me. It freaks me out. Mm. It, it all ties back to an episode of Doctor Who with uh, what's her name from Westworld? Who's like Elon Musk, like double ex-wife. Um, so Lula Riley. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's she's this creepy 
widow in a veil and she like lifts up her her veil super slowly you know there's gonna be something horrific underneath and there is and like ever since then it's like i i shudder a little bit like when i see dolls or clowns or Mm. you know people who have a bill for me or something yeah um yeah so poor brody he takes that slap and we get the scene where, where dreyfus comes over for dinner yeah, I love how he brings in the red and the white. I think later on they'll have the white wine, even though they're drinking the red right now. Oh, there's a great bit where like he's like at the door in the background. He's like, "Ah, oh, your husband's home. I'd really like to talk to him." And the wife's like, "Yes, yeah, so would I." <laughs> oh, it just fills up like an entire pint glass full of red wine. Yeah. Well, there's. I love. There's two details I love here. Like he first, like he cuts attention. He knows Brody's had a shitty day. And he's kind of being like adorable in this kind of cute romance with him. And he's just like, uh, so how was your day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brody kind of finally cracks a smile. And then I love the, uh, hey, is anyone going to eat this? Thanks. And you would just never get this in a movie if Brody was played by, I don't know, like Chris Pratt or something, you know, like just him being kind of like surly and pouring himself like half a bottle of wine. Like they just don't put that in movies anymore. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine how you would cast this with like modern actors it'd have to be so we- i would just have oh, to be who's, purposely weird who's the modern roy scheider yeah i don't even know mm, stanley tucci i don't know i don't know yeah, a little too old maybe oh shit they're doing a uh uh the 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 woman who adapted and then there was none i just saw this is doing a, another agatha christie like miniseries hmm. with another it's a perot book You'll never guess this fucking weird casting she has for Perot. Is it Tucci? No, Sally, it's not Tucci. It's John Malkovich. What? He has a goatee. He uh, doesn't even have a mustache. He's yeah. a goatee. That's bad. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. Oh uh, yeah, so you get the great dinner slash wine scene of Brody Hooper and the wife. And I and like the wife will be gone from this movie in like 20 minutes. So I really appreciate all the stuff with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad they don't, Maybe. you know, much like I'm glad they don't do the, the sewer scene in it or any of the versions of it. I'm glad they don't do the uh, affair sequence in this movie. The movie doesn't have room for it. Totally. So I don't think this would work, but because um, his, his vibe is too weird. But uh, Sam Rockwell as your modern Brody. His vibe is way too weird. Too weird. Yeah. I want to hear from the people who are like, like hardcore Sam Rockwell stands. Yeah, well, why? Could you, why? could you get Keanu in this movie? I don't think he works either. Ed Norton, maybe. Maybe Ed Norton. Ed Norton. What's up with Ed Norton in real life? Like, is he just a nightmare to work with? Apparently, he's just a huge asshole. Yeah. Like, why does Ed Norton Norton get called back for like Wes Anderson movies, but like he like he gets fired from other movies because no one wants. To I mean, it must just be like an understanding that like Wes Anderson is not letting you rewrite his dialogue, and you just have to live with it or something, you know. And and the marks are all very very specific, because um, the camera is very specific. Like uh, you and I talked about this many years ago uh, off air, but like if you're listening to this, do yourself a favor and go read about the behind the scenes uh, trauma of a movie called The Score, Robert De Niro, <laughs> Marlon Brandon, Ed Norton, been directed by Frank Oz. It sounds delightful. The working conditions on that set, uh, yeah. So. Uh, after they finish the wine, Dreyfus and Scheider go to open up that tiger shark and pull shit out of it. And you get the infamous Louisiana license plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down from down the gulf there. Which, of all things, was later referenced in an episode of Angel. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, so these two guys, they go out on the water for some bro time. Well, can we talk about just the when they cut this shark open, they're doing their like midnight autopsy. This Ooh. just kind of like little like wave of like foamy white substance yes. washes yes. out. That looks so fucking gross. Yeah. Oh, God. It's like this, like the the bowel fluids or whatever from this shark. God, and that can, the smell of that must be fucking unreal. They do a good job of their physical acting of letting yeah. you know with no dialogue that this fucking stinks. I mean, it probably did stink too. There's like I there's, thought they smelled bad on the outside. Yeah. There's dead fish they're pulling out of this thing. Like I don't think those are prop fish. I think those are literally like dead fish. He's like totally covered in it too. Like all his jeans are. Oh man, I feel like you have to throw those jeans away after that. He's I'm really glad that I don't. I don't have a profession that like puts me in the world like that where i could do something like that and i just don't give a fuck about getting dirty because like yeah, yeah. Made, i got city hands later on when they were out on the boat this is where Scheider has the white wine <laughs> he's just drinking from the bottle yeah so they have their bro time brody mentions how like new york is just filthy of crime find out hooper's rich uh brody gets some shit from hooper about yeah, you're afraid of water. It doesn't make it much sense for you to live on an island and he's like it's only an island if you look at it from the water hmm. They find, uh, was it Ben Gardner's boat? He's like one of the yeah. local fishermen. Hooper goes in the water and is like a little snorkel gear. Finds a giant ass, like great white shark uh, tooth and like a hole. Like the shark just fucking bit a giant hole in this thing. And then the uh, classic shot of Ben Gardner's head just like floating into frame there. Yes. Freaks. It. I love the, uh, like they, they managed to capture like the underwater screams, you know, mm-hmm. that certain like high pitched terror. Yeah. 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 Um, and like he eventually pulls like a tooth out of there that he loses, but yeah. Oh, and then yeah, he drops it, and the next scene, the mayor's like giving him shit. He's like, uh, "So you don't have the tooth, huh? You uh, you drop the tooth, you know? It's like like he just any excuse he can have to not believe him, you know? Like eventually, the mayor will be like, "Oh, maybe you're just doing this because you want to like get your name in like a journal or something like that." Yeah, they had this this conversation in front of the fantastic like "Welcome to Amity" sign, which someone has uh. It's got the picture of the girl like like swimming in it, and someone has added the word bubble of "help shark." This girl <laughs> swimming, and that's what Mayor Vaughn really wants to talk about. Like he wants these vandals found and hung up by their Buster Browns. <laughs> yeah, that that shot, by the way, it's like a two and a half minute long shot. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, because the mafia is going to have his balls if he, <laughs> if he closes the beach. <laughs> um, yeah, so he doesn't care what they have to do to make the beaches safe. Do whatever you need to do to make the beaches safe. Either they just have to stay open for Fourth of July weekend. Uh, well, you so get all these like a fucking military state on the beach. <laughs> well, you get all these shots of like people arriving, kind of like you see business booming on this island town. All these people coming in. I mean, I guess this is very much like an East Coast thing where people they go to the beach on on you know summer vacation and whatnot. And I guess they do that in California too. I don't know. Just I feel like it's not as big of a thing. Well, let's get let's get real. You and I are from the suburbs. This wasn't an option growing up to us, so thus it's not part of our makeup. I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's like water parks and whatnot that people. Yeah, we go went. To. We went to. We went to fucking. Uh, we went to Sea World. We went to fucking. Uh, what's the other one? Water World. Water World. Yeah, the yeah. the totally original name of Water World <laughs> prior to the uh, Kevin Costner movie. Yeah. I mean, there's like the river or lakes and whatnot. I don't know. Just maybe it's just not as concentrated. You know, like we we didn't have as many people going to one spot as you'd have like on the East Coast because there's more people. 
Yeah, I don't I don't go chasing that stuff. I, mm-hmm. I stick to the lakes and the rivers that I used to know. Um, sure. Yeah. So Peter Benchy, he's the he's the news reporter on the beach at one point. I it's kind of funny when I later found out that this was Peter Benchley because this guy always looked weird to me. Like he always looked like a porn star. <laughs> like he doesn't look like a news reporter. He doesn't look like an actual actor. Yeah. Yeah. What's up with this like helicopter? It's like a water helicopter. It's just flying like 10 feet off the ocean the whole time. just like what? going back and forth. It's like a military state. I'm not swimming in this shit. Yeah, like nobody wants to go in the water, so the mayor has to like talk some old guy into going in. Yeah, so and he I'm basically amazed. forces this old man, like this local and his family, like you just like get your ass in the water, basically. Well, I'm kind of fascinated by the old guy. Like he gives his wife the look, so they get up and they immediately take their three kids in the water with them. Oh, and you get these shots of them, like it's like the three kids on the raft and like the husband and wife on either side, and they're just looking around nervously. You know? Well, like juxtaposed with you've got dudes patrolling the waters on boats with like guns. Mm-hmm. Eventually, everyone goes in the water, and I think this is where he, they, he has his kid go take the boat over into the, the pond area, like the inlet. Yeah. Which, of course, the shark will get over there eventually. Well, and then, and then this is a moment that I think you would only get from Spielberg, which is the practical joke of the kids with the fake fin. Yeah. So everyone freaks the fuck out. And then it's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. And then it's like, oh, it's just these kids. And then one kid's just like, well, he made me do it. And you're like, oh, okay. But Every, of course, the shark everything's is fine. The tension released. Oh, wait. No, tension not released. Yeah. Which seemingly. By how long it takes Brody to get there, that pond is like two miles away. <laughs> I love so how, I like love... everyone's running over to the pond. Well, like, and what's what's beautiful about this movie to me is that the kids are helpless. They're like ineffectual about like actually getting away in time. You got the one guy who's just like trying to help them. Like he just kind of butts in to help them. Oh, that's so, course... gets it. Well, he's the dude that Bruce the shark gets and he bites the dude's leg off and you see his severed leg just sink to the bottom of the pond. Rated PG. Yeah. And that leg looks so real underwater. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I love the way they, they show the shark. There's like just this one shot of like the, the fin and, you know, the tail fin just like sinking into the water as it glides past the kid, like making a sandcastle. Like it's very understated. Mm hmm. So they get Brody's kid out of the water. He's like passed out from shock. And it's like at first when Ellen runs over, she's just like, oh, my God, he's dead. Apparently, there is a much bloodier sequence here where like a guy like jumps in front of the kid to like save him and like just gets completely ravaged. And like they shot it. And apparently, like they've never released the actual footage, but there's like making of footage you can see where it's Mm -hmm. just like incredibly gory. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Um, so they go to the hospital, and this would be like my number eight top moment. You know, when when Brody like it's it's all of the hospital stuff. Like they're trying to tell the kid he's gonna be okay. He gets to stay in the hospital. Don't worry, you get to watch TV. That's when Brody like takes the tells the wife to take the other kid home, and she's like to New York, and he's like no here. And then he sees the mayor who's in shock, and he just kind of like manhandles this guy. (laughs) Sign this paper, yeah. You're gonna fucking sign this. And he's like, he's not totally like he's not as cruel and rough and mean as he could be. The guy's just like, "Uh, you know, I was just I was just trying to do for the for the for the people. He's like, my kids are out there too. (laughs) Fine, you're gonna be a hero. You're gonna sign this fucking thing so I can pay Quint whatever he wants. And I like at first he's just like, oh, I'm not totally sure I have the authority. (laughs) 
And then we get to basically the the second movie in this movie. It it yeah. switches up now from this island, you know, shark attack movie to this insane boat movie with Quint and his uh, his like weird hooch that he gives uh, Brody to drink here, which is kind of hilarious because like you think back to that like like city council meeting and Brody's or uh, Quint's like you all know me. I'm in the movie that starts at one minute or one hour and five minutes. I'll see you all then. <laughs> I want to say there's a line where like as Quint's like walking upstairs, Brody tells Hooper, he's like, don't drink that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he, he tells one of the guys who's about to take them the moonshine. Yeah, Quint's like making his list of demands. Like one of them is just like, I want a case of apricot brandy and some caviar. I want the mayor off my ass about the zoning issues. <laughs> uh, just the the dick measuring that's going on here is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's uh, like a little three-way thing here. Cause they, they each are coming at things from a different angle and it's like Brody thought he was in charge, but suddenly he's not going to be the captain on this ship. And it seems like Hooper's the, uh, you know, the one who's going to be taking all the shit, but uh, he does know how to tie a sheep shank. Yeah. 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 Because he's kind of shocked that he's had to pass basic seamanship. You know, even though like Quint inspects his hands, when Quint does that thing where he like, let me see your hands, and he grabs his hands, and he's like, he's like talking about a whole other thing while he's just like holding this guy's hands and like crushing them in his own. Like the people who do the the weird power measure, like the the like the handshake where I'm just not going to let go, mm-hmm. where I squeeze and pull you in closer. Yeah, um, when he gets the great moment where like when he's super excited to go check on his like boiling shark jaws that he has. And I thought, well, that's a weird affectation for this character, but like it plays off like in like three minutes of how good it is. But um, uh, yeah, so Brody has another moment with his wife where you know they have to kind of face that he's he may not come back from this, <laughs> which is absurd. But you know, yeah, this, this like, shark is fucking there. insane. Yeah, yeah, it's like super foreboding, and she kind of knows it, and he knows it. Um, and then we get we're back inside the, the little shack there, and like this is the moment I was talking about, you get this great thing where we're pushing towards the window, but hanging in front of the window is one of those giant open shark jaws that like Quint spoiled all the skin off the bones, and we're watching their boat leave through, through the channel through these shark jaws, and it's like, fuck, this is bleak. And then, if that wasn't enough foreshadowing or enough foreboding, we watch as the boat continues to leave the bay and they start to dissolve the next scene, which will involve bloody water, like from the chum. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's like this bloody water is just like cast over this boat. That well, that's, on. that's really when this becomes an entirely different movie. I mean, let me hit you some of this dialogue from Quint. He's just like, what are you? Some kind of half-assed astronaut. Jesus H. <laughs> when I was a boy, every little skirt wanted to be a harpoon or a sword fisherman. What do you have there? A purple shower, or a monkey cage. And Hooper is just like anti shark cage. And I feel like this is where Quint starts to respect Hooper a little bit just because it's like that's an insane idea. He's like, you go inside the cage, cage goes in the water, you go in the water, sharks in the water, or a shark. Well, like it's such a fascinating scene because he's, I feel like he's saying the facts of the case. And rather than him actually say, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You're going to die. He just starts with the farewell, you Spanish ladies. <laughs> and it's like Hooper's kind of like laughing and like, yeah, this is nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Quinn has his ridiculous dirty limerick, which uh, here lies the body of Mary Lee died at the age of 103 for 15 years. She kept her virginity. Not a bad record for this vicinity, which apparently is a real like from a real tombstone. Like a tombstone, that tombstone yeah. In Ireland, and he's always remembered it. 
<laughs> well, he also has the classic, here's the swimming with bow-legged women. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you could get away with a Quint in a modern movie, but he's the just one, perfect for what purpose he serves here. The one moment where the movie kind of shows the the seams of its makeup, and I and I don't fault to this. This isn't a criticism per se. It's uh it's kind of like the beginning of this sequence where you're starting to see the tension building these guys. And the Brody's like the guy who doesn't know shit about boat life. He pulls the wrong line in the gear, knocks over the shark oh, cage, knocks over the tank of compressed air. Hooper's the one who freaks out, letting him know, hey, those tanks are dangerous. That compressed air can explode. It's like, everybody got that? Well, this is the moment, though, where you kind of you realize that there's been a shift in the power dynamic because yeah, yeah. Hooper has been the boss here. And you're kind of expecting Quint to just like give Hooper some more shit, but instead Quint just like as, as like he lets Hooper leave first. He's not gonna like embarrass the chief in front of Hooper. But he says, "Hey, Chiefy, next time you just ask me which line to pull, all right?" Yeah, yeah, I won't make you look bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you go, you get later on, you get the uh, like, "All right, Hooper, you drive the boats. Like, slow ahead, slow ahead." <laughs> it's like, why don't you come down and chum some of this shit? <laughs> I love the bit where his uh, he's got that giant uh, fishing pole thing, and it's like mm. slowly unraveling, and it's Hooper or not Hooper Quint notices it, and he kind of like very slowly like puts on his like weird harness thing and puts the fishing pole into like his special like, like fishing it. seat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've seen that in something else, and I'm like, oh god, that's real. Yeah, <laughs> people do that. Um, well, then eventually, like their plan involves a lot of like. They'll shoot the shark of a harpoon attached to like a long wire or rope that's attached to a barrel that essentially just doesn't let the shark like dive down too deep. It kind of like tires it out. Yeah, just it would take too much energy for the shark to pull it underwater for very long. Like especially I mean, they get like three on it eventually. And it's like, yeah, it's too much for the shark, even though the yeah. shark is like a beast. It's like 25 feet long. Yeah, the shark will later eat this boat. So, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Um so we get the the scar scene as they're like kind of drinking overnight. Uh, we get the mention of the U.S. Indianapolis. Can we, uh, can we talk about just the geography of this boat and how like at, at many points they have to like just climb around the side of the cabin to get like mm-hmm. to the front or the back? Yeah. There's so many shots of like just like their feet on that tiny little ledge there, and it's like of course like you know the foot slips here and there occasionally, and they almost fall. I don't think I'm a boat guy. Uh, especially not like a little boat guy. Apparently they, they shot most of this handheld because if they had shot it on a tripod, everyone in the audience would have just gotten seasick. Yeah, I bet. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's, it's really, there's some incredible shots. Like when you go up on the, like, I don't know, little lookout tower or whatever, they're looking down. They get a lot of, they get a lot of visual real estate out of, uh, just Quint at the end of that little gangplank. Oh yeah, that that's awesome. At, at different you... at different times of like day and night with the, like the sun behind him or not behind him. Yeah. Um. Well, just the the go out there so I can get a picture moment where it just it seems completely insane. You know, it's like that shark's way too big. Well, just I always love when you have a movie where you have like a genuine nerd who's super giddy about the thing that's like super dangerous and crazy and we should be like terrified of it but it's like this is my fucking field this is my yeah. thing it's right here well and there's that's this i'll say that's the thing that's that's, that's kind of fascinating it's, it's a secret ingredient to characters and why people are, can be watchable in movies and tv shows it's like why it's one of the reasons why don draper is so fascinating 
we like talent. We like people who are good at a job or excited about it. Yeah. Well, there's also this this thing that's happening that it's never explicitly mentioned because it doesn't need to be mentioned. Like all of their masculinity is being challenged right now, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. especially Brody's. Like sudden, suddenly Brody is like below uh, Hooper on like you know the the masculinity rungs here because he doesn't know anything about boating. And so yeah. it's like they're all kind of being challenged by each other to like rise to this occasion. Um, they're completely insane. Like at one point, Quint just like breaks the radio so they can't call for help. Like, yeah. Well, after he like lies to the wife, like a super quick burst message just to like get her off the line. Well, that's like as the shark is the outside. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, like he knows the shark is about to attack and he's like, we're fine. Blah, 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 blah. blah I got to go. Do you know who's yeah. on the uh, radio there? Who's that? Steven Spielberg. Nice. This is director cameo. Nice. Um, was that like intention, like his cameo, or was like like the the case of like they didn't have somebody else to do it? I have no idea. I just assume it's probably intentional. Oh, the bit was, where where um Brody's like trying to climb back that direction, and then like the harpoon gun and Quint comes out and like forces him back the other way. Yeah, I mean, not to get like you know too much about Wes Anderson. I was looking at some stuff at Rushmore not long ago, and it's like he's uh, Wes Anderson's all over that movie in various spots because he has to be. Mm. Yeah. they can't they can't get anyone else yeah the uh just the u.s indianapolis in history is so interesting just being a part of like little boy and the atomic bomb and then the 12 minutes of sinking 1200 people on board you know only 317 survived the sharks that's fascinating the guys like they're drinking they have this story of quint he's like kind of humanized in this super fatal macabre way they start singing their song they're like drumming away on the table and of course <laughs> As they're doing it, they have no idea that the shark is attacking. Water's bursting through holes now in the boat. Well, that, Fire starts at one point. That shot of the um, the barrels surfacing out, you know, like a couple hundred yards from the boat there with the little like tracer light on it. Yeah, there's some really excellent shots and yeah, all that. Which is Quint's super like uh, he's super chill about like, hey, chief, could you put out that fire? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know the thing about a shark, he's got. Lifeless eyes, black eyes like a doll's eyes. Oh, until until he comes to devour you, and then they turn all white. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's what you're talking about. Brody's trying to call the Coast Guard at one point, and Quint just walks in and smashes the fuck out of the radio of a baseball bat. I mean, he definitely loses it by the end of this movie. <laughs> he like yeah. pushes the boat so hard the engine explodes. Uh, yeah. So they hit him a few more spears, a few more barrels like attached to him. Brody pulls out his revolver and shoots at him a couple times. He hits him at least once. Oh, yeah. This shark's like the fucking Terminator. Yeah. Um, there's well, a weird shot that like has to get at you, the viewer. When they snag some of the barrels, they're tying them to the boat. And at one point, Hooper's oh, legs get trapped yeah. to the rope. And it's and Brody's like, oh, fault. Oh. Yeah, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. It's Brody not being a boatman doesn't know that you shouldn't like cross someone up with a line like that. Yeah. Well, like I, I defy, like especially in the theater, I would love to watch this with people who have not seen the movie before and just watch them kind of like shimmy in their seat mm-hmm. and push their legs together. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I enjoy any movie where you're trying to put yourself in the situation and and realizing that you would be fucking up the same way as the characters. You know? Yeah, yeah. So they think at one point they're dragging the shark, and Quinn's just like, "Back home, we got a taxidermy man. He's gonna have a heart attack when he sees what I brought him." <laughs> I love the bit uh, just before the USS Indianapolis story where 
they're it's when they're comparing the scars and he's like and hooper sees one on his uh, arm there quint's arm he's like what is that tattoo it's like what did it say mom and he's like laughing you know and then like quint's like not laughing and you're like oh shit like just the way it's just tone with quint he's such a live wire that like you never really know is he like gonna be fucking around with someone is he gonna start screaming at them it's gonna get super serious well, psychologically, it's great because he starts laughing along with him and like, ha, ha, ha. Yes, I'm laughing because this is the image I have presented. This is what you think of me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the dark truth behind this tattoo I had for me. Well, and then when he when he says the USS Indianapolis, Hooper's like, oh, shit. And yeah. Brody is just like, what? <laughs> you know, like you really see like how it's like you thought that Quentin Hooper were very different from each other, but they're actually not as different. As, no. Yeah. But C was angry that day, my friends, like an old man returning soup from a deli. Um, yeah, so you know, back in this moment, like Bruce starts eating the lines. He's coming at the boat. Quinn puts another heart or uh, like harpoon thing into him. I, I, um, I love the bit where it's earlier, but where they've got to like tie on like a, a tracker or whatever to it, and yeah. Hooper's just like, "Don't wait for me, just like shoot it," you know. And it's like he's doing it while uh, they're gonna like shoot the harpoon at the thing, and it's like just in time he gets the thing tied on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and I, I think Quint knows well, whatever the fuck Hooper's doing. He knows that he can't fire the line yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the line gets attached to a barrel. At one point, they're shooting at the shark from like behind the boat. So when the barrel finally comes from the front of the boat to Bruce, it like just flies over this boat, <laughs> and it's like Brody looks over it just in time to like almost have it barely hit his head but like here's a very real person as a person who who wears glasses quite a bit it knocks his glasses off that's how close it gets to his, his like, face oh yeah oh man that hits you hard that, that well i mean there's another shot where that shark fucking comes through that window as the boat's starting to sink yeah oh shit i just love yeah. like at this point we've just fully bought into this idea that this shark like it is just decided it's going to take this boat down you know i mean i guess it, to some extent it can't really get away because of the barrels mm-hmm. um and so it just you think that they're in control and then like all of a sudden uh, that boat is is taking on some water and uh it's not you know the engine blows after a while and it's starting to sink and it's like oh shit the shark is winning well they're doing all kinds of shit like up on the on the deck they're not paying attention to the fact that the inner cabin of the boat has been like flooded for a while now. Yeah. Um, they can't untie the line. The shark starts dragging them. Like it's ripped out the transom uh, because of Quint's like antics. The, he's blown out the engine. It's taking on crazy amounts of water because um, Quint wants to like drag the shark back to shallower water to drown it. Well, um, eventually, like at first, like that wasn't something he wanted to do. Like he mm-hmm. he wanted to just like solve the you know kill the shark out there. But eventually, you kind of see. He's like, oh, maybe we should, you know, let's let's take it back to the shallows. Like he he wasn't willing to do that before, but he is now. Well, so the Avenger Hooper's like, well, you know, my my plan all along was to get in my shark cage and basically lethally inject strychnine into the shark. Which <laughs> well, is this crazy. is where at the end of the uh, Indianapolis story, Quint says, you know, I'll never wear a life jacket again. And then mm-hmm. after, I think it's after the engine blows, he goes and gets the life jackets and he hands them out. And it, and like before, the idea of getting in that shark cage was crazy. But now it's just like, hey, uh, hey, Hooper, <laughs> what do you got? Yeah. Well, I think about that too. Even though I, I guess if I have one, I don't know if it's a flaw or not. If I have one thing that I would tweak a little bit about the movie, it's um, it's the it's the great wonder with uh, Mayor Vaughn on the ferry with uh with Roy Scheider there, and like they're talking about you know, hey, you're a shark, you got a panic on your hands. 
Later on, we find out from Ellen that every time that uh, Brody gets on the uh, the ferry, he sits in the car. Mm. And it's like, we should hit home a little bit more. Like, this is how fucking serious it is to him. There's these great moments, like you said, There's where it's like a character, like they have a very strict rule to things. And when they break it, it's like, oh shit, this is serious. This is real. But the life jacket thing, isn't that, it's contingent on the story of his buddy that he's like floating along and they think everything's fine and they eventually realize that he has no bottom half. <laughs> Bitten in half all the ways, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, as Brody's getting some gear at one point, the camera lingers just to remind us about those tanks of compressed air, in case we forgot. Yeah, just there. enough. Yeah. Just enough to set it up, not too much. So the shark starts, like, you know, sneaking up on Hooper as he's, like, in his cage. The it, shark like, fucking rams. sneaks behind him. I love that. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's like John Williams conspired to, like, drop out the uh, the, the score. And not let Hooper know that there's a shark coming. It like rams that cage and deforms it within seconds. So Hooper drops his like murder rod, like his like super syringe there. And Bruce just keeps attacking. Drops it on, on accident. Cage. You know, like, you just, yeah, he drops an accident. Yeah, immediately well, like, drops like, that looking thing. Looking around at one point, like, can I pick it up somewhere? Oh shit, no. So he has to like swim away and hide while the shark just keeps like fucking up that cage, like devouring it. They try to pull uh, the cage up, but the shark's on top of it, and it basically like yeah. breaks the whole uh, like transom there. Mm-hmm. So eventually, basically, the whole back of the boat gets fucked. It's well, like the shark just like comes up on it. Yeah, yeah, he's like basically it looks like he's just like eating his way up the boat. Brody and Quinn are trying not to slide off the back, but Quint does. There's some some fucking real survival shit there. He's like essentially playing footsie with the shark's mouth. Oh, the screams. Where the jaw, well, like even before his yeah. actual feet get in there, he's like he's trying to like kick it away. Yeah. yeah, like his, but Bruce's jaws are like three times the size of Quint, and then eventually that dance is over, and Quint gets bit in half. And yeah, oh fuck, he's screaming and screaming. That shark just like carries he's him away, coughing up blood. He's just like, yeah. and the screams are just getting higher and higher pitched. <laughs> it's like blood everywhere. Oh I my god, P- rated PG. After a movie, after like being raised by the movies as one of my parents i don't know what i would do if somebody i knew ever had a, a wound where they started like spitting blood out of their mouth afterwards I, I think i'd just write them off i would be like oh shit you're dead yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't want you to become a zombie i have to shoot you in the head yeah um yeah so the boat keeps sinking the shark keeps coming eventually brody like hits him in the face one of the compressed air tanks like like pounds him off then he throws that thing in his mouth i want to say you do see a picture earlier maybe it's in quint's shack where they're like they pose of a shark and has a an air tank in its mouth. I think so. I yeah, like, yeah. If that's where he gets the idea, but he keeps coming back. Like Brody's like he's climbed up to the highest part of this like sinking boat. He stabs the shark a few times with the, with the harpoon. It keeps coming. Um, well, and at and this point, the shark is like really committed. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wants to eat this motherfucker. Um, this hey four eyes, you're going to my mouth. Um, yeah. So the shark keeps coming at him. Brody's trying to shoot the tank lodge in his mouth. He shoots. He misses a bunch of times. And because of movie logic, it's only when he quips that he actually oh, yeah. like, nails the shot where he says, he are, says are you asking me for the quote? I am. Uh, what is it? Like, give us a, sm- a smile, you son of a bitch. That's what he says. Yeah. 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 And then Bruce explodes into a, a mist of red. <laughs> we actually watch his, his like dismembered fin sink to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. And like a, a cloud of red blood fog. Yeah. And then, hey, look at that. Hooper survives. He just, like, went and hid. Yeah. Smart. I love oh. the, uh, he's just like, Quint. And, uh, no. 
<laughs> Brody just shakes his head. Yeah. So these dudes, like, they basically fashion together like, like two of those yellow barrels and something like they stay afloat on. And they like doggy paddle home. There's like seagulls everywhere. They're like, excited. It's like, oh, I think the tide's with us. Yeah. What day is it? Wednesday. I mean, maybe Tuesday. I don't know. Yeah. And then uh, just the the weird bromance last lines where Brody says, I used to hate the water. And Hooper's like, I can't imagine why. All right. And that is Jaws. It's a clean two-hour movie there. Uh, make one change. Well, last, last thing, too, is uh, visually. But then we see this, like, just static shot of like the peaceful tide like washing over the beach as the crowd. I mean the movie just fucking it. ends right there. Yeah. It's well, there's just, no like getting back to Mrs. Brody or anything. It just ends. No. It kind of made me think about like when you watch like the the original airing of like the lost finale. Oh, they yeah. just like had those like shots of like the wreckage on the beach to make you think like oh shit they're all actually dead. Like you're just watching this like this tide. It's not like the characters like suddenly show up on the beach or anything. I, I thought that was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of a change. I really can't. I can't either. I, I think this movie is perfect just the way it is. Yeah. All right. Let's do some power rankings. I have ten barely. Uh, yeah, I had the kind of struggle with some of these, but I have ten. I didn't put Spielberg or John Williams on mine, even though I feel like you definitely could, just because I wouldn't know where to rank them. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I could be cutesy and make them like the Uber number one, but yeah, yeah. no, because it's it's hard not to put Spielberg at number one if you're ranking him. Mm-hmm. You know, or like John Williams, like, yeah. But anyway, my number 10, one of history's greatest villains, the mayor, Larry yep. Vaughn. Yep. Same thing. <laughs> what the fuck, man? This guy yeah. is just like, people are dying and getting eaten by sharks. He's got to keep those beaches open. <laughs> For 24 hours. That's how long we'll close it. Don't worry. Yeah. Mary Larry Vaughn is absolutely my number 10. My number nine uh, is the guy who would have hooked up with Chrissy. Or at least really? maybe okay. reported her unfortunate death a little bit earlier if he hadn't passed out on the beach. Yeah, I didn't rank that guy. I do have Chrissy at number nine, though. Okay, okay. Um, Chrissy's actually my number eight. <laughs> Poor Chrissy. Like, we don't know anything about this character. She could have been a horrible person in her life. At but first, like, I thought she was, like, mute at the beginning because, like, she doesn't say anything to him. She just smiles. But then she does start talking later. There's, like, this fascinating thing that I... I I don't know how many people have experienced in real life where you're just like majestically romantically like I fucking someone across the room and it's like the entire tale of your love story has been told like you don't need to use words afterwards. Um, I don't know. Maybe you've been drinking with maniacs on the beach on a summer vacation or whatever. You're going to go hook up with them for a sexy midnight swim. But poor Chrissy. Yeah. She probably would have been a lawyer or president or something someday if she hadn't been devoured. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, I had Meadows at number eight, the uh deputy who's like one of the writers, I believe. Oh, okay. Um yeah, I have, I have the deputy at number seven. All right. Well he's like he's like, what about all that extra help that we're supposed to be hiring? That's not to the fourth. Until then it's just you and me. Apparently originally Meadows was going to be on the boat when they went and found Ben Gardner's boat. Uh-huh. But they like reshot the scene at night and got him out of there. That's a that's kind of a brave staging of that scene, only because, I mean, it's visible. It's Spielberg. Spielberg has a very comfortable feeling with the darkness, but like I feel like another director would have been terrified to allow that much darkness mm. anywhere in the movie. Definitely. Uh, let's see. Number seven, I had Alex Kinter. Kintner. Chomped. Oh. You know, uh, somehow the widow Kintner, 
and uh, not Widow Kittner, Mrs. Kittner and her son don't actually end up on my list. Hmm. Yeah, who is they on should your have. list then? Who's your number? Is, I don't know. Are you on seven or? The end of my list makes sense, and the front of my list makes sense, but like everything in the middle is just kind of wishwashy. Yeah, my my seven was the deputy. My number mm. six is actually the Brody kids. Oh sure, yeah, whatever. Yeah, add Mrs. Kintner at number six. Just that, that makes sense. Yeah, my number five is Ellen. Same. Um, wonder I if was... our number four is the same. That would be a serendipity if it is. I'm kind of curious about uh yeah our top fours um Ellen I want to say is like one of the stars of at least Jaws four I think she's like remarried or is dating Michael Caine isn't like and at one point it's like Brody's son is like the, well, the it's, main it's I believe it's like it's the two grown sons yeah. are with her and four I, again I'm basing this off of like the how did this get made on Jaws four the revenge sure sure I don't know if I know anything about two and three. I want to say three was like a straight up comedy though, right? It's like a three D no comedy. Idea. I have no idea at all. I've never seen any of that. Yeah. Yeah. So five, I have Alan. What's your four? My number four is Bruce the shark. Oh, okay. No, my number four is actually, this is going to blow your mind. My number four is Quint. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I like Quint a lot. There's other characters I like more. I kind of felt like I had to put him here, but this character all the derivatives of him, I will fucking hate forever in every other movie. But man, Robert Shaw is just nailing this crotchety old weirdo. I guess I just find the kind of escalating like machismo stakes in the second half of this movie incredibly appealing for some reason. I don't know why, but no, I, just, I, feel I find it so yeah. compelling, like the, the lengths they're willing to go through and they're kind of like unstated competition with each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, akin to what you're saying, my number three is Bruce the shark. Okay. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's perfect. He is just this tidal force pun intended who just comes and goes. And he's like, you just need to see a little bit of him through the distorted field of the water and just hear that score. And you're like, Oh fuck, the shark is back. And then that's the beauty of the shark. Like metaphor is a thing in a, in a movie or a show. It's just a fin. You don't even need to see the whole thing. And like the way that it's always used in fiction, like even do you remember how people lost their minds in season two, episode two of Lost, where we saw a shark fin and we didn't just see a shark fin. It was stamped with the Dharma logo. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So Bruce the Shark is my number three. Is your number four? My number three is Hooper. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I like Hooper. It's it's tough to rank these top four, you know, Um but yeah, I put Hooper there ultimately. I mean, he's a fun character. Apparently him and uh, or Dreyfus and Robert Shaw did not get along very well in the set. I would be shocked to hear that anybody got along with Robert Shaw. I think the the great line is that he was a perfect gentleman when he was sober, which like the the, the punchline there is that he was always drunk. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the anecdote that I like about the Indianapolis scene is that he tried to pitch it to Spielberg of, you know, these guys, these lads have all been drinking. I feel like I should just go in the bathroom, have a couple quick shots, like catch up and just try to feel it out that way. And Spielberg was like, kind of like, oh yeah, sure. That makes sense. And it's like later on, Spielberg realizes Robert Shaw's an alcoholic. He's looking for anything that will allow him to drink while working. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the crazy shit they had to do with him, like flying back to Canada, like every so often to like avoid like IRS issues. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Completely insane production. Yeah. Um, 
all because he had just done the sting and the producers liked him. But yeah, Robert Shaw's career is very interesting. My number two is Chief Martin Brody, the common man, the cop from New York who's terrified of the water. So he moves to an island. Uh, Brody's a great straight man, a great everyman for for this story. And again, Roy Scheider, like just the this is a guy who shouldn't be like the lead of a Hollywood movie, yet he's he's perfect because he's not your normal conventional leading man role at all. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know if we have a modern comparison to a Roy Schreider. You know, we don't get those kind of actors anymore. I guess on TV, we probably get them, but not in movies. Seventies were so weird for the movies; they really were. And I, I remember when Sequest happened; it was kind of like, "Hey, it's Roy Schreider again!" Or, or Roy Schreider again, like he's back basically playing the same character from jaws, but it's fine because like we missed him, you know, even though I'd never even seen jaws, like I understood that this was like basically just him redoing like an old classic. Can I tell you my nineties kid first world problems from, from that era? Sure. Sequest and Lois and Clark debuted on the same night. And I was like, Oh shit, which one do I tape and which one do I watch? I think you, you tape Lois and Clark and you watch Sequest. That's what I did. Yeah. But also, there was also the primetime, the first ever primetime Power Rangers special was on the same time. Oh, uh, pass. I was never into Power Rangers. Okay. I mean, I was into the I Pink Ranger, but that was it. I taped it because I was, I was a very lucky, fancy, rich boy family. Apparently, we had two VCRs in the house. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was my Machiavellian bargain of the universe was to watch Sequest and then tape Lois and Clark. Anyway, what's your number two? My number two is Quint. Okay. Salty old seaman there. I think we've discussed him plenty. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just really enjoy the performance. He really just shows up halfway through the movie and it becomes a different movie. But uh, you all know me. Yeah. Like you said, like every other incantation of this character is it, like it doesn't work the same way it works with Quint. You know, I probably because none of those other characters had like their USS Indianapolis story to kind of ground them. Mm. The the backstory that you never realized you needed and it's super tragic and gory. <laughs> yeah. well, I think most movies Quint would have just been like riding Hooper's ass the whole time and they they, they mm. wouldn't have had that kind of shift in the dynamic when they get on the boat. It would have just been like, "Oh, Quint's the hard ass and he doesn't like this city boy with his city hands." And they don't have the same tension after they kind of do the scars, they have the drinks, they mm-hmm. sing the song, they do the the monologue here. It's like they've kind of stopped measuring dicks. You also, I don't think you could just, you couldn't do the movie math and just do this afterwards. You couldn't have a moment where like, like Chris Pratt has a, has a respite in the, the drama with, with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. And he's like, by the way, I was in the World Trade Center on 9-11 or whatever, you know, like you couldn't do that. You just it couldn't happen. Um I was yeah. thinking, like, could you do a version of this movie where Hooper is a woman? I don't know if you can. It's just the dynamic would be so different. You might have to change some other things. Um I mean I I suppose you say you could do it, but it would just be a very different movie. Like the whole boat part of it would just it's a completely different dynamic yeah well and and i'm kind of curious because i only know these these trivia bits i don't know like they're in the trivia bits from the book itself are essentially like 
stones and pebbles being thrown in a pond and i don't fully know the 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 ripples like i get the you tell me the drama on the book of the the last section where it's like all the shit's happening with the shark but at the same time brody and hooper had this kind of pissing match and brody doesn't know for sure if this guy slept with his wife or not and then i think about that and i think well how the fuck does quint fit into this yeah you know like you all know me i'm not a cuckold you know what i mean like i don't also how ballsy is it have a character's first line just be you all know me <laughs> Um, my number one related is uh, obviously if you've done the yeah. you've done the math is Hooper. Uh, you know why? Because I'm the world's biggest Benjamin Light fan. That's why. Uh, like I said, I I feel like I, I mean this in no way as a diss. Like I could see Richard Dreyfus, who you know I've had issues with at times, and I've really enjoyed in other things. Like he's such an intrinsic, intellectual, finicky, weird presence in the cinema. I could see him being like your style icon for sure. Mm. Okay. You'll be on your vision board. Yeah. I have, so you got like, I've got Brody? chief Brody. Yeah. Okay. Just, uh, my man, Roy Schreider there. Big fantasy quest DSV, obviously. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, he's such an interesting choice for the leading man in the movie. And the movie's not afraid of not making him just like the complete heroic lead, you know, like, I don't know. It's just such an interesting character that mm-hmm. you would never get in a modern action movie because your modern hero isn't allowed to have kind of like weird, like flaws and, you know, things about him that aren't heroic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel that um, related because we're, we're nineties nerds. How long did you stick with Sequest? Um, I think I watched all the first season. I want to say in the second season, they were like suddenly very, they like did some big retcons and like suddenly tried to make it like next generation. And like, there was like a, there was like a, an empath suddenly like a Deanna Troy type character. Mm -hmm. And I was like less here for that. And then I eventually got back into it. It was before they brought on Michael Ironside, but like, okay, there was like kind of a thing where it's like, Oh, sequest is good again for like a few episodes. And then it like it tailed off again. I don't know who the Sequest heads are uh, on the internet or if there even such a thing exists. Um, it's the internet or whatever. So I wouldn't be shocked. There's like a Sequest podcast out there, but like at one point in season two, they literally fight the God Poseidon. Jesus. And I was like, this is like the high. There's like mutants after a while. Yeah. Well, mutants are introduced into the cast. So there's like yeah. two mutants who like become part of the cast season two. But like, I was like, Drama in season one was like UN negotiations and shit like that. Um, so yeah, I could see where you would lose Roy Scheider. And then season three with Michael Ironside was a little bit more like we're a little hard ass. We're a little more kind of like a more militaristic version of season one. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then by the end of that season, they were going back in time. Yeah. Missile crisis. And I was like, okay, uh-huh. yeah. this show's done. <laughs> Which is weird. You, you would think, that would have been a winner you know he had the fucking talking dolphin and everything but well, for some reason they they couldn't make it work well then i just think of steve zissu who like these creatures are supposedly very intelligent but i've never seen any sign of that yeah um and fucking jonathan brandis but like i remember like the talking point for some producer when this show had debuted was just like yeah yeah whatever you got like your star trek shows you got space whatever you know, 90% of the earth is covered in water. We don't know what's at the bottom of it. So I feel like that's a pretty interesting place to go with fiction. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
Who boy? Anyways, would you recommend this movie? Fuck yes. Hell yes. If you haven't seen this movie, you should seriously watch this movie. It's better than you probably think it is. Let's put it that way. And try to watch it twice. Just try to watch the movie, embrace it, enjoy it as a movie, and then go back and watch and just like think about how this story is told to you visually. And it's it's so exciting. I think I've used the word adorable way too many times, but I'm not going to use that. I just self owning well, myself there. But like it's it's like it's so like you said. I think you said uh, it's a masterpiece or like just a master filmmaker for realsies. It's the kind of movie where if you haven't watched it, you're gonna you're gonna realize like a lot of lines that you've probably heard but didn't know what they're from or from this movie, and also just a lot of kind of like beats. I guess would be the best way to describe it. Like kind of like visual beats or story beats things you've seen in other movies mm-hmm. not done as well it's like oh that's where that comes from it's from this you know uh, i'm always fascinated when i rewatch that every frame of painting video because the guy uses a lot of just like these very male-centric comments to kind of like attack film school fanboys uh-huh. but yeah like the spielberg oneer it's the kind of shot that people just come in their pants over well <laughs> it's he, the most jerked off shot in history <laughs> even something like um the bit where it's when Quint is like slowly like harnessing his like fishing pole or whatever because he he senses like the the shark as like taking mm-hmm. a nibble. Uh, in the background, Brody is like tying. He's trying to tie a knot, like a you know some sort of like nautical knot, and he finally gets it and goes aha! Just as like the uh, the reel starts spooling out really fast, you know, it's like it's that sort of like break in the tension there. That's been done so many times since this movie, but it's like, no, this is the movie where they, they invented that. Yeah. The seventies are such an interesting time for cinema. I mean, you've got like essentially like your, your USC crew of, of film punks with the Coppola's and the, uh, Lucas's and Spielberg's just like taking over. Yeah. Yeah. Taking over like the industry there. Um, I was just like looking at, uh, Bill Butler, the cinematographer who, the other big things are like the conversation, one flew of the cuckoo's nest, and a couple of Rocky movies. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that was Jaws. What are we going to watch next week? Uh, oh, obviously Deep Blue Sea. I am joking. Yeah, I don't think we need to watch Deep Blue Sea. It yeah. is really nice to do just like a fucking fantastic movie. Like this is probably the best movie we've ever done. Uh, I would say this one and maybe Crouching Tiger. Crouching Tiger would be the two. Yeah. Very, very different. Movies. I feel like, you know, we try to listen to the feedback that we get. We don't get it as much, obviously, on Headcanon as we do for the other podcasts that we did. But it seems like from what I'm understanding from people, they would like us to do, you know, hey, one week of the month, do like that movie that you just take a huge dump on mm-hmm. and then maybe follow up with something that you just fucking adore. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know how long we have before Mission Impossible. What do you want to do? Do you want to do like another Mission Impossible movie gearing up to that? Uh, so that's like the 27th, I think. Let me look at my calendar. So that's two, three-ish weeks from now. Uh, I also don't know what comes out this weekend. And uh, we're looking at a Friday the 13th. I think that like Skyscraper movie comes out. Pass. Yeah, let me take a look. But I think that's what it is. Uh, yeah, Hotel Transylvania 3. The Equalizer comes out in two weeks. <laughs> Mamma Mia 2. So yeah. Mission- we should go see that, having never seen the first one, and see if we can make sense. <laughs> sure. That won't be <laughs> annoying. Uh, yeah, Mission Impossible 6 is on the 27th. 
So okay. I don't like think we could two do episodes. two episodes leading up to that. I don't think we need to do two Mission Impossible movies. I don't know. What, what do you feel like? Um, If you had to pick one, what would it be? Ghost Protocol. Okay. I mean, you don't want to like maybe like the first one? Eh. You know what I'm always fascinated? I hear people talk about on things, and I'm I'm always amazed it comes from that. Is I always hear folks talking about like, oh yeah, blah blah blah. It's like you know that thing from movies, the knock list. And I'm always like, wow, okay, that's a reference that that has survived. That's yeah. like Pierce I mean, the I, I like the first Mission Possible. I just I don't know. I don't know if I have that much to say about it. I, hear, I, mean, I, hear. I mostly just the uh, Emilio Estevez cameo. <laughs> okay. I had I had a little bit of crush on a, on Emmanuel Bayar um, after that movie. I I saw that. that was I think maybe the first midnight showing I went to was that movie. Really? It, yeah, and I went with my dad, and it was really weird because there were no trailers because this was back when like midnight showings were just kind of like a weird thing they did, or it wasn't like a standard deal. And so mm-hmm. the movie just started, but we didn't really realize that it started yet. And it was just like it was just this weird scene with like these like european people speaking in a foreign language about something not a, not an exciting cold open at all but it was like we were like is this like some like a weird trailer where it's just like a a one scene teaser trailer or something like that and then suddenly like he takes his mask off and it's tom cruise and we're like oh shit the movie started well and then there's like a dead girl and you're like is this just like like is somebody like doing that thing in the movies where like they're playing that like secret video they've recorded of him and like this is scientology's dark secret yeah i <laughs> That it's a it's a weird like non exciting cold open. We should obviously do Mission Impossible two because that movie is oh, terrible, awful. Do great, Scott. Except for the yeah. except for the twenty minutes where they first introduced Tendi Noon. I think that's so bonkers fun. But yeah, that's a bad movie. Thank God for that movie because otherwise, Do Gray Scott would have been Wolverine, and that would have been you would not have had you wouldn't have had Logan. You wouldn't have had so many things. Definitely. Uh, spoiler ghost protocol I think is a movie we're going to mostly gush over um, for sure I really I really enjoyed that movie I don't know so let me just look I've, at some of my recent movie downloads here uh, let's circle we already did that <laughs> war horse no thank you of course it's not a bad movie I was actually kind war of surprised horse. yeah I was kind of surprised how much I enjoyed it it's not like a headcanon movie I don't think um I've downloaded a bunch of things. The only uh, thing like, a, like something summary we can do. I was going to say the only thing that's applicable to maybe headcanon down the line that I've downloaded recently would be like the thing. Yeah, but like that's not a summary. Down the, down the line. Yeah. That's a good fall movie to talk about. Club Dread. <laughs> See, you can't really do a comedy though because it's like it's like just watch the movie. You know? Well, like you don't want us repeating all the jokes. We're trying to make jokes. Yeah. Have you listened to the new? We hate movies. Uh, on Runaway Bride. Yeah. No, I have not. Just wait till you get to the grandma character. Okay. Yeah, I've yeah. never seen that movie, but yeah. Neither have I. Neither have I. But um, now take the back. I have seen that movie. I haven't seen My Best Friend's Wedding, which they have previously done. But uh, their take on the grandma character in this movie is brilliant. Um, I don't know. Well, why don't we slot in Ghost Protocol for two weeks from now? And we can try to figure out what the hell we're going to do for next week. Okay. We'll see whatever holiday inspires you the next yeah. like couple days. Mm-hmm. Cool. Juneteenth. Yeah. Um, I anyway. think we've passed Juneteenth. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, until then, have a good one. Cool. Bye.